You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. The world's gone to the devil in the dive bomber, and you're diving with it. You gotta change your direction. You gotta zoom up again. The Lord knows your hidden sins. And that's any kind of sin, brother. What did the great prophet Isaiah say? Look ye blind that ye may see. You gotta make the Lord just see and I just as he is mine. One of the most challenging mysteries ever to thrill you. Different, because you know who the murderess is. You see her commit the crime. You see an innocent man condemned to pay for that crime. The only solution of which is locked in the shocked mind of his own child. The only eyewitness. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, you can become by subscribing on Patreon. I'm going to be honest, it's totally slipped my mind what's coming uh, next week, but uh, rest assured, it's going to be another lonely guy falling into the life of crime, because that's what we're doing this month. So join that sleaze, please. <laughs> that's very true. Uh, <laughs> we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover as well. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for five or six years or whatever, like 140, 150 plus bonus episodes, as well as our bonus transmission series, which there is like 50 of now, where we talk about new release genre films. Um, so if you're interested in that at all, patreon.com slash podcast. And speaking of which, we did have quite a few people make the jump this week, so we'll give them their shout-outs here. Oh, my God, I'll expand this so I can see their full names, though. Uh, we had Emiliano uh, Biaz. We had Timothy McManus. We had Kevin Bristow sign up for $10 a month and is joining us for the monthly virtual uh, screenings, which we try to do for the last Thursday of, of every month. Uh, we had Anthony Harris sign up, Dane Allen, uh, Adam Fors, Anthony Corelli, Alex 12, Living Person 1, Casey White, a New Metal Jacket, who signed up for an entire year of the show because <laughs> if anyone's interested in that you can uh you know get a, you can get a little bit of a discounted monthly rate if you do a whole year in advance that's a great uh, we name. had joe morris sign up that is a great name we had josh carlton uh sign up we had nico shine uh upgrade from five dollars a month to ten dollars a month also joining us for the virtual screening we had andrew foster daniel wolf deg bryce olson janos kimming uh Hamu, Robert Martin. This is also, you can tell this, these are the Spooktober numbers. Everyone was in the spooky <laughs> season. Yes. Uh, Mike D, Teddy Stockhart, Clayton Ambrose, Martin Behrens, uh, Catherine Woods, Abby G. Haslam, Michael Newberger, John Feely, Sam Weiner, Abby Holman, Rick Tracy, Calvin Vaughn, uh, Stephen Tokarski, and last but not least, James Baker. Actually, Stephen and James Baker also both signed up for an entire year of the show. So awesome. thanks so much to uh, to everyone there. Hope you're enjoying all of those bonus episodes. We appreciate that a lot. Yes, thank you. Uh, that's our one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, is Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you were listening on either one of those platforms, and I see the stats, I can see you listening right now on both those platforms. Uh, give us a good old rating and review down at the bottom. It helps us uh, climb the ranks and find new listeners. And the very last plug, as always, is merch. If you like the poster art that Based Out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for our show, you can get that put on basically anything that you can think of. And you uh, freaks the thought of a lot of things. We've had people buy uh, notebooks. We've had people buy pillows, hoodies, just posters for their place. The link to that is in the description, as well as over at sleezoidspodcast.com for anyone interested. 
But that is it for the intro. Welcome back to another week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. I believe uh, two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks over on the main feed would have heard from us, and we would have been doing the last main feed episode of Spooktober. We had a good friend of the pod, Mr. Halloween Mindset himself, Rob Franco, on the show uh, to uh, really get into the 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 spooky mindset with a double feature of some anthology horror films. We talked about George Romero and Stephen King's very colorfully exaggerated and comically mean-spirited uh, EC Comics throwback, uh, very gruesome, very zany, called Creepshow from 1982. Perhaps you've heard of this one. We had a lot of time <laughs> talking about some horror legends and also some sitcom comedy legends uh, just getting absolutely torn apart in Tom Zavini gore effects and yes. lots of bright colors. Yeah, and watching uh, Stephen King go full simple Jack mode, which is a lot of fun. He did. He was <laughs> he was on so much cocaine in that era. Oh yeah. And, uh, he's like he was like he's like, dude, what if I was a plant and I shot myself in the head with a shotgun? Um, <laughs> so we 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 talked about that as well as Mario Bava's very meticulously stylized and more sort of like decadent gothic Italian horror anthology uh, film uh, called Black Sabbath from 1963. Uh, which is, in my opinion, one of the best anthology horror films. It Agreed. has like a stalker thriller sort of like phone call sequence in it that is like evocative of Scream. It had in, in 1963, mind you. Yeah. Uh, and it also does a Boris Karloff like Serbian vampire epic right in the middle. And then it does a sequence that is basically straight out of an, an Argento film, basically like a full decade before Argento would even start making those kinds of like abstract uh really really crazy horror sequences yeah and truly one of the scariest prosthetics i've ever seen that that dead face on the old woman is terrifying as it just floating towards you <laughs> oh my god that's right so you haven't heard that episode that was over on the main feed two weeks ago go back and uh check it out but last week over on the patreon feed exclusively we had episode 300 and it was the halloween episode we really wanted to wrap things up with a huge uh show blind spot a, a movie that we had been uh, dancing around talking about for many many years at this point uh we talked about wishmaster from 1997 <laughs> yes, our favorite film <laughs> Directed by Robert Kurtzman. Um, but uh, no, we, we also paired that with A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. Obviously, Wes Craven's very visually surreal, psychologically tormented, supernatural teen slasher. So we were like, that feels like something that we kind of owe like an actual full episode on. And we went long on it. So, you know, a lot of people were telling us they were happy with that. I think and, we went uh, longer than the film itself. So we did. Nailed it. We did. We love Wes Craven on this show. But we also went, look, if we're going to talk about a huge A picture like that, we got to go full trash monster mode. And so that was why we also talked about Wishmaster, which was just so goofy and so <laughs> ridiculous and honestly so pretty idiotic. But, oh, yeah. you know, an, a, an absolute blast to watch a uh, 80s VFX gore legend just kind of uh, 
construct a bunch of sequences worked backwards from getting to some ridiculous images and disgusting images. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Un- unbelievable. Good fun. And what's, what's the, uh, the lead's name again? Do you remember Andrew Divoff? Yes. He's giving a hell of a performance, totally committed, hamming it up every scene. Just some of the some most of the baritone chewing you've ever seen stands toe to toe with Tony Todd for like two minutes. And you yeah, know, it's literally not, they that's have not a voice nothing. Off. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. So yeah, would recommend for something stupid. And then obviously nightmare is just a a classic. So yeah, most people know Freddie. Not a lot of people know the, the genie from Wishmaster (laughs) in the same way. (laughs) It's a gin. Sorry to interrupt. I know I'm not. Oh, wow. That's right. Wow. That's true. (laughs) This ain't, this ain't no, I do like the line where he's like, this ain't no Robin Williams. You know, like what are we talking about here? (laughs) What a line. Yep. But uh, yeah, so again, patreon.com slash podcast. That was over on the bonus feed last week. Uh, but moving on to this week, obviously, we, we are doing a full 180. This is the <laughs> uh, October 31st to November 1st transition from Spooktober into Noir-vember. And uh, to to uh, get us into that zone of uh, depressing, sweaty men in fedoras and smoking and killing people, uh, we 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 had we have none other than a very special returning guest. Someone who's been on the show many times before. Many of you will know her. She is the uh, one of the hosts of Seeking Derangements. She is also the co-host of the newly minted Movie Mindset podcast with friend of the pod Will Meneker. That guest is Hessa Denny. Hessa, how you doing? Hey, Josh. Hey, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming back. I always yeah, uh, now associate you with um, the... I, I always blank on the movies. It's just that that always happens on the on this show. But when you, you've sh- you showed us the possibly the grossest tank... Uh, um, <laughs> tank squishing. Yeah, squishing. We'll say that, yeah, that, that I've ever seen in my life. And I think about it all the time. So I just wanted to say yeah. that starting off. Haunts our dreams. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you. I feel like I've I've had such good luck with bringing movies on that I was trying. I was really racking my brain to think what should I what should I bring on this time, and I kind of I kind of gave up with the second one a little bit. But I picked something <laughs> fun, and I think the first one is something that's real a really special one actually. Well, I could tell right away because I was like, "Hessa, we got to have you back on." And I I know that of a lot of the people that I follow, you actually have seen quite a bit of like some like I was looking up sort of the, some of the old crime movies that you had logged, and I was like, "Wow, she's actually seen some stuff." I don't even know what the fuck this is. So I was like, <laughs> you know, get you know, give a give a give us some options here. But it was also fun getting sort of like a like a front row seat to Hessa trying to figure it out too she was yeah. like i want to do this one but she was like here's all these pairings she was like naked kiss i was like great movie already done it she's like nightmare <laughs> alley and then she's like well you know it's not actually noir enough actually she's getting nerdy yeah. on me about it too so <laughs> <laughs> i wanted that. something uh, that would pair well you know a nice you know a shocking kind of a, a, a little bit of a shocker but more conventional like you know, a lot of these movies take place during the day, which is interesting for noir movies, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But, uh, but, but, but has a, what, what noirs did you end up landing on and, uh, why did you pair them together? I landed on, um, the sound of fury, AKA try and catch me, which, you know, two, um, two bad names for, <laughs> 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 um, for different reasons. But um, I paired that one with um, Shadow on the Wall, which is 
a fun one. Oh, we're I mean, both titles out. are kind of hilariously literal. When I finally yeah. watched the film, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, one of them is actually about a sound of fury that builds yeah. everyone. Literally, <laughs> the characters in the film remark upon it out loud in dialogue. Yeah. And like, then well, with the second one, sound sure is so furious. <laughs> yeah, well, it's crazy. And then uh, Shadow on the Wall, it's like, yeah, the whole movie, I was like, oh, there's the shadow on the wall. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's th- there it is again, you know? <laughs> I wanted, I decided eventually on Shadow on the Wall because the jump scare of throat goat Nancy Reagan is <laughs> very fun. Yes, I'm very excited to talk about it. This will be our first time talking about Nancy Reagan on the show. And yeah. uh, I was quite shocked when I actually looked up that credit. And I was like, because she, she's not credited as that. She can't credit as Nancy, Nancy Davis. Davis. Yeah. That's right. So, but then, yeah, I looked her up. I was like, I honestly, I kind of looked her up because I was like, she's not bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, of the, act- Honestly, of the yeah. actors in the, in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I was very shocked to find out she was the first lady. Yeah, yeah. So, but but yeah, I, I also think that there's something. You know, we're, obviously we're going Turner classic 1950s mode a little bit. There's going to be some you know things that are uh, recurring that we see in a lot of these movies. But I, I also thought it was interesting that both of these kind of involved like guilt-ridden torment over specifically like an inadvertent murder and like a questionable yes. kind of like justice system process around it. The first one, Sound of Fury, is more like mob violence, sort of like crime media, media yeah. sort of like message picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the second one is more pulpy child endangerment kind of like bee thriller kind of stuff but honestly we, Psycholog- we are psychology is involved all these quack psychological things yeah like, it was like yes. a shadow of the doubt a little bit yeah shadow of a doubt yes yes yeah. yes yeah yeah so yeah but, that's uh, kind of why i wanted to pair them up just the guilt and the the mm-hmm. sweat the amount of sweat um compared between the sound of fury there's so much sweat at, compared to um and Southern in um, in Shadow of a Doubt, who's totally pristine the whole movie, no sweat whatsoever. Oh yeah, no Frank <laughs> Lovejoy. I, I wanted to like reach out and like get you know mop it a little bit. I was like, dude, you gotta <laughs> gotta relax a little bit, man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so we're we're jumping in noir mode. We're kind of going with some underseen noirs right right off the start here, and I I hadn't seen either of them, and I I, I like them both, so I'm I'm yeah. very excited to jump into it here. Let's uh, let's kick things off. Let's start with the sound of fury. Got any idea what time it's getting to be? Five thirty. What? Going somewhere? Well, I I gotta get home. Jerry, about that job you mentioned. My wife doesn't know where I am. <laughs> Keep a guess, and they respect you more that way. Hey, you like this one? Oh, yeah, that's good. Uh, Jerry... What do you mind giving it to me? I liked it. He took it right off his neck. <laughs> I'll have to introduce you to him sometime. He's quite a character. All right, we are talking about The Sound of Fury, a.k.a. Uh, try and Catch Me and also Try and Get Me. With a big exclamation <laughs> point on there as well, um, which is the, the the title that I actually got on my copy. Um, it is a 1950 uh, crime thriller film noir directed by one uh, Cyril Enfield, or just known as Cy Enfield. It is written by Joe, a man named Joe Pagano based on his own 1947 novel called The Condemned. And it stars Frank Lovejoy, Kathleen Ryan, and Richard Carlson. Um, and Lloyd Bridges. 
And Lloyd Bridges, of course. Got to throw yes. the, Lloyd, the, 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 the Lloyd in there. I was go, I always go by kind of just like the top billing, but Lloyd yeah. makes more of an impression than some of the people they have billed higher than him. That's True. for sure. Oh, Lloyd <laughs> is my favorite actor in this movie. He gives it a, he, the pedals to the metal with Lloyd, especially towards the end when he's kind of like trapped like a rat, as it were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, though this 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 has kind of a bit of a claustrophobic structure to it, uh, based on the fact that Pagano's material was inspired by a uh, a very vicious and publicized uh, lynch mob in San Jose, California, that took place in. I saw some conflicting reports. It was like 1933, 1935, mid 30s, uh, where two confessed kidnappers of basically the eldest son and heir of a fairly well-liked and wealthy sort of department store owner uh, for ransom ended up basically murdering him by bashing in his head with like a concrete block and like throwing him over a bridge um, in, in into one of the local bays. And shortly after, the real men were arrested and their confessions were kind of publicized, uh, which there were a couple sort of ambiguous holes in because, you know, 1930s cops, not the best at their job. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, you could argue, you know, still not, but like, you know, 19, yeah. <laughs> I did very much doubt even uh, then, especially. Um, and as a result, it kind of sparked this like local min- lynch mob of essentially thousands in the San Jose area, which yeah. is the scariest thing. At, you know, a bunch of local San Joseans just marching out for me is terrifying i think it's like upwards um, of yeah. ten thousand they estimated which is just it's, it's terrifying it's an absurd about. number and everyone yeah. was in on it they took like you know photographs of it where they blurred the faces out so no one would get in trouble no one was ever convicted for it and they basically right. did a full jail assault riot uh including like radio broadcasters and local students and even some politicians were you know like or at least one governor promised to basically pardon anyone who got involved with it ahead of it <laughs> happening yeah. so it's like <gasps> an insane justice, <laughs> Yeah, it's an insane true story and uh, capped off by the fact that and what Pagano seemed to have run with in terms of adapting it was that there was supposedly one of the men as they were being dragged out to get Lynch screamed, you're making a huge mistake. I'm not the man you want. Um, mm-hmm. While basically another guy's body just like you know swayed in 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 the background uh, essentially. So this is kind of the image that Pagano has um you know, decided that he was going to try and get to when he was he was making this. And um, the uh, director that he attracted was this guy named Cy Enfield, who was this uh, Jewish communist uh, theater actor at Yale, who was part of Orson Welles's Mercury Theater. Um, and uh, also, uh, he actually has a surprisingly long, someone really went and did the work on his Wikipedia yeah. page <laughs> talking about his whole foray into like magic and like yeah. sleight of hand illusionist type shit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very curious. He... <laughs> I really love the Wikipedia page section where he's talking about um, where he went in front of HUAC and he refused to name names. And he's like, yeah, I'm not a communist anymore, but I just didn't want to name any names, you know? It's no rat. Yeah. He's yep. like, I ain't no rat. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he he essentially found his way into movie making in the 1940s. It, it sounds like by using part of his Wells and RKO connection, because he did some work on the Magnificent Ambersons. Um, and uh, he he really hit it with a noir film called The Underworld Story, which was successful enough to get him a, a follow up and actually a slightly above B movie budget for this film. And 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 he really did like this idea of this kind of nasty script, which was about this decent American family man being corrupted into aligning 
aligning himself essentially with the psychopath character in in in, in Lloyd Bridges, and uh, apparently everyone that he showed both the script and the movie to eventually like friends, like Joseph Cotton was someone he was friends with due to the Wells connection, and everyone was like, dude, you're just this is such an anti-American thing that you're making in the midst of the Korean war and the cold war fear and uh, patriotism. And then I was like, well, this is just Hess's thing. Cause (laughs) you know, Jamie already (laughs) brought up the skin and I remember us talking about the skin specifically the aspect of it was that we were watching shitty copies of it because it's still never screened in like um, America because of how ridiculously anti-American it it is in terms of depicting the allied liberators in Italy as just like, just as degrading um, both sexually and in terms of you know violence as well is so it was just like you know this is uh, never seeing the light of day it's a has trademark (laughs) the evil of the of america and the american (laughs) middle class and such (laughs) and i do i love that um his own kind of corruption and you know, evil turn of being like a good upstanding family man. It kind of mirrors the turn of the, the good upstanding town, like yeah. just going like bloodthirsty, like animal mode and just like, you know, just killing him in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I found this like quite unsettling because like a lot of it is it's like it's a fairly socially conscious kind of like noir like it, and it's not something you haven't seen before. Like there's there is like, you know, that post-war financial kind of desperation aspect to it. There is a little bit of like a guy who's down on his luck, you know, has to get into a life of crime. And you know what? Crime doesn't pay, man. You know, like there's <laughs> there's that aspect of it. And what's crazy to me is that how it makes the transition from that movie into the other movie when it is turns, it does become this more thing about like the American collective psyche that is prone to, you know, getting hysterical and getting violent and how it mixes Frank Lovejoy's very guilt ridden performance with like this very hot headed anarchy that sort of like starts to form uh, around him and kind of predicts a movie we've covered on this show. Um, Billy Wilder's ace in the hole was something I thought about. Yes. Yes. Um, in terms of how they build an entire carnival around like this very, you know, this this survival situation gone wrong. And people are just, you know, trying to turn it into like this entertainment product that's weaponizing people's, you know, fears and stuff like that. And so like that aspect kind of makes its way into the finale. And obviously there's a mob violence aspect to it as well, which reminded us of the big mob violence film we've talked about on the show. Uh, William Wellman's The Oxbow Incident. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. That oh is a God. dark one. <laughs> yeah. Which is one of the most harrowing films I think we've maybe talked about on the show. Cause it's just 70 real time minutes of watching people consider, uh, lynching people. They don't know are guilty and that there is. A, and the whole movie is like, yeah, there's actually quite a bit of doubt here and doubt just keeps forming, but like the wheels are turning towards, yeah. they've already just decided what they want to do and they're going to do it. Yeah. And you can um, kind of see that end game a little bit like the entire time. So that just kind of, it overlooms the whole film. This is interesting in that, 
you're at first thinking it's just about him getting caught, essentially. And then it just becomes yeah. so much more devastating by the end. Yeah, early on, I was like, this is just more like a Joseph H. Lewis, like right. kind of just a, like, you know, it has, it's, it's a noir with like left wing ideas. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's about here's a, yeah. you know, like it, it reminded me of Terra to Texas Tower as Sterling Hayden, where he's just <laughs> sure. he's a Swedish immigrant who just like kills a capitalist gunslinger. It's like using classic noir sort of images and, 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 and kind of tropes and popular crime entertainment things, but sneaking in these kind of, you know, sort of like I- ideas and maybe even not so uh, <laughs> not, subtle I- yeah, I- ideas. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah. Vito just outright saying them like <laughs> yeah, two Vito or three literally times. just stating them <laughs> completely. Yeah. What a what a hilarious character. But honestly, I felt the same I, I felt the same way watching some of the Joseph H. Lewis ones as 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 well. Sure. A lot of those guys who were, you know, you have to give them a little bit of credit, I guess, that, you know, they were making these films during the McCarthy era anti-communist yeah. witch hunts. And they were just being like, what if I put like communist ideas into the mouth of Sterling Hayden? You know, right. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really insane. <laughs> Maybe people will finally yeah. connect with them. Yeah, I think that's also but, uh, the reason they might spell them out too, the way that they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just really... has a better understanding, a better grasp of something that people were so, you know, angry about, I guess. Or scared of rather. Yeah. Yeah. No, but this was this was um very, very good. And I was I was happy to read there was a huge Jonathan Rosenbaum piece on this director that I ended up um reading because he was a huge uh fan and he actually thought that this was one of the like most masterful American films that is like not on any like best American film list, like on the AFI list. I think that was what it was. He called it like the best American film, not on the AFI list. Um, and, and he called, um, Sid Einfeld, I think accurately a, a social environmentalist in the sense that his movies were interested in kind of like group behavior and breakdown of social fabric and yeah, thus a sort of psychological fabric of, of, of America. He's Vito says a line towards the end that I think really sums it up. He says like, Violence is a symptom of moral and social breakdown. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really like it sums up his whole, um, you know, the whole, uh, you know, philosophy of mm-hmm. this movie and of a lot of Sai uh, Einfeld's other movies, too. Yeah, this, this this idea that, you know, if someone is becoming a criminal, there must be, you know, it's possibly there's something defective in their environment, not necessarily in their psychology. And that seems to be kind of like the idea that, you know, they wanted to run with. They wanted to run with this idea of there was a guy who was lynched for, you know, committing this really brutal crime. But like, what would make a guy go along with a crime like that. And so they come up with like, here's kind of like how this guy falls, falls into this. And it, and it opens on like this very sort of atmospheric scene, this like busy crowded street, a lot of like chaotic hustle and bustle running past and, and everyone's running past and ignoring this like preacher character. And the preacher character kind of sets the stage too, where he's like, you got to look in your heart and ask yourself how much of like each of you is guilty for all the evil in 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 the world and like why do you do the things that you do and that seems to be where pagano as a writer has been decided to kind of come from is like how how did a guy end up doing something like this which is when we pick up with 
this you know this very average you know down on his luck kind of working class unemployed American dude named Howard Tyler played by Frank Lovejoy who was also in uh, Ida Lupino's great film The Hitchhiker which we've covered um, on 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 this show as one of the guys who who gets uh, picks up the hitchhiker and ends up held at gunpoint for a few days like trans oh my god that, that is him. Around. I didn't even it notice is. that yeah he's got the same kind of nervous performance that same he gives sweaty up. yeah just very anxious trying to find out what to do next really (laughs) yeah just so scared and tormented and you know kind of like freaking out but but i but i liked too that in in this you know because so much of that film was also kind of like about male ego and sort of social economic power and you know obviously this guy just pointing a gun at you and you know being able to humiliate you and threaten you with death at any moment and in this one he's playing the guy who's hitchhiking around and he's hitchhiking around looking for work he's you know he's out Mm. and about applying for jobs he's trying to provide for his wife judy played by kathleen ryan and his you know kind of annoying kid tommy (laughs) (laughs) um who he's 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 recently moved from boston to california in hopes of starting a new life, but is, you know, becoming increasingly tired with not being able to provide them with, you know, not even just like groceries and doctors, but like just things, you know, common American luxuries you think he should have. You know, my yeah, kid like, should have be able to go to a baseball game, you know, it yeah. costs 25 cents. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 25 cents to go to a baseball game is, was a really crazy price point <laughs> that was mentioned in this movie. I was like, <laughs> another one is he... Um, the, at one point, Jerry, I think his name, his name is Jerry, right? Jerry, yes. Yep. Yes, Jerry, the Lloyd Bridges character, says, mentions that he paid $6.50 for his cologne. And that's like shocking that he would pay that much for cologne. And <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's hard to like... This, might, this guy must be a high roller, goddamn. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. <laughs> this guy is a... And that's something yeah, that, a big wig. That's something that pops up uh, pretty much constantly, especially I guess in the first thirty minutes when he's re- they're really trying to drive home how uh, much money pops up on his day to day basis, and of course as it would for everybody. Like there's first it's him giving the fifty cents to his kid, and and the wife being like, you know, that could have got us eggs and you know a, a few meals out of that, but he you know just kind of out of this pride this wanting to be able to support his family and give his son whatever he wants he he just does it there's another part where he goes to a bar and i think the bartender gives him a more expensive beer than what he would have traditionally ordered he gives him a he gives him an eastern beer a little european beer and he's like uh he's he's like you didn't say anything he's like yeah but you didn't ask and so he has to give him the extra you know couple cents or whatever it is um and that just keeps happening and happening my favorite part about that scene where he goes into the bar after he, cause he's like down on his luck. He's um, upset and he, it cuts to it's, this. So he's, he does what everyone does. He drinks a depression beer at a local bowling yeah. alley. <laughs> he, he goes to <laughs> the bar slash steak restaurant slash diner slash bowling alley. And <laughs> where the, the guy behind the counter is telling um, the newspaper reporter, the other main character. Yeah, Gil. Um, yeah, he's like totally fawning over Gil, and he's like, "Say your column is really so is really swell. I'm making veal scallopini today. Oh, hang on, this this fucking this fucking jerk just walked in the door. He doesn't say that, but he's like, "Hang on, I got to deal with this with this jerk, this fucking poor guy." <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, Howard hasn't even said a word. <laughs> it's just like head down walking in. It's like, why are you being so mean? It's like everyone is just hates him. Yeah, yeah. He's so put well, upon, and like it really is like 
earlier on when he passes the the store, the woman at the store is like, why don't you t- asks um her husband like ask him about his bill, ask him about paying his tab, and like um. <laughs> there's this, you know, undercurrent of just hatred going on in this town and everyone is like very polite on the surface. And it's part of why the second that, you know, the, the penny drops and he, and he gets like, um, you know, he gets arrested and the newspaper puts out this like very sensational piece. Everyone is so ready and just to be like braying for blood, um, you know, and to, yeah, trying. I always hated that fucking guy around yeah, town, exactly, man. You know? <laughs> exactly. He always seemed like a no good character who was, you know, g- gonna gonna get up to some trouble. And it's also why he falls into the spell of Jerry so easily, played by Lloyd Bridges. Who, yeah, um, I think I, I don't know if we've talked about him before, but he's the deputy from from High Noon. And also, I always think of him as that dude in Airplane who has that sick running gag of being the the addict involved in the situation, <laughs> where he's yes. like, "Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. Looks like I picked the wrong week to you know quit amphetamines and sniffing <laughs> <Yeah>. glue." You know, <laughs> um, and 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 he's very good as this like performative, very like two bit bit kind of like hustler who but who's also the guy who is superficially nice to him you know yeah. he, he he wants to have a conversation with him he wants to invite him in and he has nice clothes expensive alcohol you know he's really show, showing off his his bowling form and his body in the one scene when he brings him home to his apartment and everything it is almost like a little like you know he kind of picks him up at the bar yeah almost, it's like a love he, scene almost yeah. It is, but it's he's. It's also clear he's like feeling out how much Howard will just kind of like follow social commands, like grab my shoes, like hold my mirror, carry my bag, and he's yes. doing all this before preparing to you know do a bit of a bait and switch. Like I'm being your friend, and I I've heard of a job opportunity. Turns out the job opportunity is being a driver for me while I just <laughs> yeah. go around committing like various Jesse James style like robberies of of banks and liquor stores and 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 burger joints which is something that you know howard as we know him would be something he's incredibly uncomfortable with and at first he's you know he is he's like i'm not interested in this but you know lloyd makes his pitch you know is anyone offering you anything better lately like everyone's treating you like like shit and not offering you any work He's like, yeah, oh, you're one of those guys who wants, a, who just wants a, a handout. Huh? A like, handout? Well, he has, yeah. He has ten dollars. Get out of my face! And yeah. like, yeah. you know, he's like, take this to the bank and talk, you know, talk to talk about the to them about what is it? Your your tough talk to their go tough to their luck hard department. luck department. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He seems to take advantage of his of his pride essentially, where he's just like he gives them the ten bucks. You know, he could, I guess go out and, and get some groceries for his family for the week or whatever. But, you know, it, it, he's it's so more down fancy on his European luck and he's beers. been, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, more fancy European beers. Yeah, <laughs> He's been so down on his luck and he's been distrusted and kind of um, insulted by so many people. I think he's he, he takes this as an opportunity to, to do something, even if it's against the law. He's like, well, I'm going to work for my money. I won't just take this $10 he threw on the ground. Yeah, it's yes. a, it's a really good scene of manipulation. I, uh, Lloyd Bridges is awesome. He really is. Well, he great. flips from charming to vicious just so fast, and and, yes. and he he, yeah. he he pokes this guy just in the right spot where he's desperate enough to be like, you know what? What I just have to sit out front a gas station while he goes in and does the thing. Like I'm kind of from a safe distance from it. Like maybe I could do this, which is done in this yeah. incredible sequence that I do wish maybe the whole sequence was done this way, where it's just 
Frank Lovejoy sitting in the car and in the distance behind him in the, you know, sort of passenger window, you can see Lloyd go into the gas station and go do the robbery that he's about to do. Um, Mm -hmm. It's actually very similar to the sequence that Harmony Corinne would do in in Spring Breakers of them doing the huge, like, you know, sort of like diner robbery that they do while the girls are driving the car around the side of the building. And and part of me was like, man, you know, Enfield, maybe you could have kept it out, the camera out there the whole time, but he does briefly cut in so that we can see a little yeah. bit of what um, Lloyd Bridges is getting up to, which is, you know, you know, viciously beating the people His inside process, and, and yeah. robbing them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> he comes out and Howard's like, did you have any trouble? And he's like, I never have any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Just beat Dude, we're, 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 we're on easy street now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, but I, but I, I, I like the idea that f- like for Howard specifically, it is just like, you know, he's technically being invited to do something dangerous and violent, but you know, he's, you know, Lloyd is being considerate enough to be like, you're not really doing anything. Like you're sitting in the car, you're sitting in a car waiting for a guy to get into your car and look at all this cash you're getting. Look at, you can buy these, you know, you can buy your wife a TV. You can buy your kid this potato chips. These are things that all American, you know, boys and girls should have. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love the uh, community watching a Western together. That oh, was yeah. The whole oh, right. neighborhood is Although, watching a Western. It's like it feels it feels nice at first, but given the context of the end just and the kind of uh, like a lot of Westerns were the gunslinger, you know, killing the, the bad guy for justice. Getting extra ju- judicial <laughs> so he, justice, right? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, it is kind of heartwarming at, at first. You're like, oh, just a, a tight knit community right there watching a Western together. And then. I'm not so and sure. And it's like, no, they, they all think they're John Wayne. Like, yes. Yeah. I didn't even pick up on that, but that's so like, it's so true. <laughs> but then, yeah, Howard brings home his new spoils to his wife and kid. And they have like, you know, nice groceries, good shit. They've got everything. And then um, it cuts to um, Gil at this like dinner party that's like so fancy yes. the and journalist character played by richard carlson who i only know as the main doctor guy and creature from the black lagoon who just like wears <laughs> his swim trunks the whole time nice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah he's having a, a upper crust high society party which features hang on i wrote it down one of my favorite lines in the entire movie it's oh someone's playing someone's playing the piano and they say the boogie woogie is the most scientific of musical forms. <laughs> the only musical form where the musician can play with one hand and feed himself with the other. And then he throws a peanut into his mouth with his free hand. This is the kind of shit you only get in in, in noirs, which that's, is why we have to talk. We have yes, to dedicate a month to them. That's quality rich exactly. people humor right there. <laughs> yeah. That's good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but 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 Gil is, is he, he's at this party and the, the, he starts hearing about his boss who basically wants him to, you know, task him with reporting on this idea of these petty thievery cases, this like crime wave of robberies that is just these two guys. And, you know, he he does kind of, you know, have some some qualms about it because he's like, you know, aren't we kind of like exaggerating this a little bit? And, you know, and and, and this is where we do get introduced to his uh, his uh, math European European mathematician buddy Vito, uh, which which apparently the inclusion of this character, by the way, was a fight that Enfield lost with the studio that he actually (laughs) did. That uh, they were like, yeah, if you want to, like, we don't understand exactly 
the ideas that I guess they felt that they weren't being communicated well enough in verbally. So they were like, we need a guy who's actually there to be like, you know, it, wouldn't that be destructive to public health? You know, yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't that wouldn't that be a distortion of our uh, illicit values as a society to sensationalize crime on the front page for it's entertainment? So funny. Just, it's just know. the funniest <laughs> over and over again with a tone of concern. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. Honestly. It's like, what does he even do? It's unclear what he's even doing there. He says he's there for a lecture, and it's like, yeah, you are. You're lecturing us, like the yeah. audience. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 and he's there to set up Gil being like, you know, people love to be scared to death, you know? And the more you scare them, the more papers you sell. Yeah, he's going you know? nightcrawler like, mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh... Yeah, so so j- meanwhile, though, Jerry gets it in his head that they are going to start upgrading their me- methodology. Um, yeah. That they are going to kidnap the uh, pretty boy son of a local wealthy man named Donald Miller, and they are going to uh, ransom him. Uh, and I, I thought it was a kind of a, a, a twist of irony that this guy was actually played by one of the townsmen in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, which is like <laughs> oh the polar opposite in terms of depiction of American community. I have to wonder <laughs> if that was intentional. That is wild, actually. Yes. Oh, my God. I didn't even pick up on that. <laughs> yeah, but 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 so so Jerry has Howard drive him out front of this guy's house and there's incredible long shot of um this, you know, dollar Donald Miller guy walking from his front porch to his car and he's doing that in the background of the frame and it's composed so that you can see Jerry's shadow on his car in the foreground like waiting to pounce on him when he gets in and when he does that's when they're, you know, they tie him up, they drive him to this like abandoned army sort of like training ground which is functionally a ruin now which is part of the commentary on sort of the post-war class desperation as well and obviously we kind of already talked about the real story they don't just ransom him they bash his head in with a rock and steal the valuables like on his body which immediately Howard is like completely just horrified by that one they've upgraded to murder but also without like much thought or reason behind it he's like we did this for like a fancy tie clip like he didn't have well he didn't have anything on him (laughs) I think Jerry's Jerry's reasoning is that he became insane and is like that's true (laughs) don't you get it it? he thinks he's better than us (laughs) he's going like James Cagney mode you know he's fucking his, his eyes go psycho. Like yeah. Yeah, the yeah. light goes out in his eyes. The wide, just like, like coyote eyes, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think he mentions too. He, he, the the only practical thing that he comes up with is when he says they'll uh, he'll recognize us and and say it's us if if he gets caught or whatever it is. Once we give yeah. him back for the ransom, but it, you Which, can you know, tell they that they could have worn masks or something. True. <laughs> like, yeah. They don't yeah. even make an effort in that sense. <laughs> That's very true. He never and, really makes an effort when like even when he's robbing the the gas station earlier he just puts on sunglasses <laughs> true yeah <laughs> like, yeah he's dressed to the nines still the same thing he, he wears the same yes. outfit he wears out with uh with howard so yeah they're not trying very hard and the, just the the flip is so quick that you can you can tell that it was in jerry's mind yeah almost from the beginning oh, yeah. it seems yeah so yeah, well, well, and I, I do like that shot, too, of them rolling the body down the rocks and oh, just yeah. like this huge pile of rocks, which is actually a shot that ends up being repeated at the very end because it just is like this, you know, it is it is almost like this uh, more sort of like primal natural zone where like, man, you know, it, it started with one man killing another man with a rock. That's where all of this <laughs> right. started, <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and, 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 and Howard though is like really affected by witnessing this because again, he was used to being like, I sit in the car and I don't see what he does and I, there's money in my pocket. And now he's like, oh, I actually just watched him like kill this kid, you know, for, yeah. you know, and, and so that, you know, the contradiction of his new position that in order to give his family like a basic quality of life, he needs to be complicit in, in, in horror that, you know, he knows that he, he, he would never have justified alone. Yeah, and it and he really can't starts to himself. like from the beginning. He's just absolutely mortified and pretty. Much I mean, he was already kind of drunken and sad like before this, true, and now true. he's like yeah. despairing. Or, Frank Lovejoy is literally like trying to tear the skin off of his face. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's it's like crazy when he gets home too. He like gets home and goes into his wife's bedroom, and his wife is like. Oh, hello. I just had the most wonderful dream. I had the baby and it was so beautiful. It didn't even hurt at all. And everything was so perfect and sunshine. And he's it's just like cuts to his face and he's just looking at her like a psycho. <laughs> like he's yeah. completely dead inside. It's yep. like yep. really sad and horrifying. She goes on this like, yeah, that it's long and kind of loving description. And I think what he says back is just because uh, she asks afterwards, what, you know, why are you home so late? And he's just like, overtime, go to sleep. And that's yeah. it. He's just, yeah. he's just dead in the soul now. He's got nothing. And yeah, even before yeah. Uh, he, um, you know, he's, he's a part of the murder. Uh, he, he is getting like very nervous. Uh, there's one part where his son turns around really quickly with his toy guns and it just startles him. Like he just, it seems like he already yeah. feels like he's, he's a criminal and he's going to, you know, die by a gun or something like that. He, he, he definitely yeah. has the fear. He has a guilty conscience for sure. Yeah. And also I am looking at my notes. I did. I love the cut, but from um, him bringing home his wife's luxuries earlier, um, to literally um, Gil, like, pouring, you know, uh, pouring, like, juices and, like, basting onto a beautiful roast, like, turkey that's Mm -hmm. just in his backyard Mm -hmm. for this party that, like, no one's even touching. And, like, the kind of contrast between Gil, who's basically writing about this, uh, this guy, this, like, crime wave from a position of, like, complete and total comfort and impunity. um, Mm -hmm. And the the life of Howard, who like you know, when he brings home honey baked ham, like in a like pre sealed package, his wife is like, "Oh my gosh, this is so expensive. This, this is, is so heaven fancy. on earth. It's almost yeah. like having a child without pain." <laughs> yeah, it's like crazy, and you know, and it definitely you know this that theme continues. And then I love um, in the next scene after the next morning when they're about to continue their ransom plan, they Howard meets Lloyd Bridges at the, um, at the diner or whatever. Yeah. At the diner. Mm -hmm. And he's like, give him a steak. (laughs) I love. Oh yeah. That that, shot of the pound of the slab of meat where she's like hitting it over and over again. And you could just see him imagining like a rock going into someone dude's head, you (laughs) know? That's so, so yeah, that's the, that's really grim. There's a couple really nice, like, you know, really subjective and psychological moments that really hit during um, this section where Jerry is like constructing this whole elaborate plan where they're going to like go on this double date with his blonde bombshell girlfriend, Velma, played by Adele Jurgens, And they're going to drive out of town and mail the ransom letter back to the family with an out of town postmark. But it turns into this whole like tense sequence where the girls start to 
kind of pick up on the fact that these guys kind of have weird vibes at the moment. Um, especially Velma's like lonely single friend who is really sad That's character. The most tragic character in this movie and like a character that makes me so sad. Like, cause she's yeah. like a little older and she's like, yeah, you know, just wants to get married and she's like, Oh, Howard has a lot of issues, but she's still down to marry him. And he, she's like, she's, he's, he's not a creep like Jerry and yeah. you know, but, 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 but she can pick up that Howard is like, you know, unwell in, in, in yeah. some capacity. Like, Hey, you're sweating a lot and you were drinking a ton. Like what is going yeah. on? <laughs> Have you tried not doing that and like taking care of yourself like a little bit more? And, and Howard is just like, I like that scene where he's trying to mail the letter and uh jerry freaks out and is like oh, this is a letter to my mom you know like you, c- you can't see a letter to my mom and then all of a sudden howard takes it to the mailbox where he runs into a guy who is mailing news of his first child to his families and friends and he's just <laughs> so excited to tell another human in front of him. he's like i have a kid isn't that like fuck, like crazy isn't this amazing it's such this like <laughs> you know sort of like crazy i love this guy and how long the scene went on with oh, him yeah. for because it is like you know <laughs> yeah. there are there is like a social bond to community and to people sending messages to one another and, and kind of all like this and and they are supposed to be pretending to have like a fun night out but it just for for Howard every single element of this is now like it's either like a tense moment like that like oh my god I'm gonna get caught or the I mean the the actual club sequence turns into like this horror sequence where there's like these really sudden shifts in focus there's these really unbalanced like canted angles yeah Yeah. the the party goers are like laughing in these like really unpleasant and kind of like hideous like fun house images almost it's like you know Howard is having a horrible time it's definitely a scene given the full context preceding the the mob justice where it, it's like everyone is focused on him as the magician comedian kind of mockingly does the tricks to him and everyone's laughing and he feels as if they're laughing at him and can maybe even like kind of see right through him in a way. Um, yeah. I also, there's one detail in that diner scene that I really love because it just shows like how maybe they're they're not the best at what they're doing here um where they they have the whole <laughs> ransom note and they give you time to to read it and just show like what it looks like and everything and they're they have it uh in between the the bill um kind of uh, f- uh folder that they give you and and the, the the waitress grabs it and and you think for a second she's just going to take it and that would have been it she would have read it called the police you know it, it would have been game over and i just love how one it's not the, the the way that it's shot it's not really um a huge moment by any means she just kind of takes it you get a second like kind of your heart skips a beat there and uh and then she just puts it back into the the little container and they grab it again but it, it just makes me laugh how close they came with such a stupid move to getting caught in oh, that yeah, This moment. is such a rickety yeah. hustle, yeah, you know? Exactly. Like, yeah, like Jerry exactly. has yeah. not planned this out at all. <laughs> exactly. But he's, and, and the whole time he's got this this confidence, even after he, he does that stupid move, and you can even kind of see the fear in his face when it happens. He just goes on and on again after he realizes he got away with it to Howard about, you know, the date with the girls and how we can do this and that and blah, blah, blah. So he just he, he never stops no matter what. 
Yeah, also how he doesn't pick up on, like, how the vibes are so off with Howard and, like, that he's a liability at this point. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, he's getting yeah. so drunk. He's practically falling asleep on on Velma's friend's arm. And, you know, and because he's in the company of, like, someone else who seems kind of kind and kind of lonely, he, he gets the crime off his chest by confessing to her and basically being yes. like, you know, you know, people, you know, sometimes people do things. I didn't think he was going <laughs> yep, yep. to kill her. Yeah, and he's like, "Why did he have to kill him?" You know, I've never. And I love yeah. the line. My favorite line that he does is when he's like, "I've never been in trouble before." <laughs> yeah, it's so like he's heartbreaking, and she is like uh, equally heartbroken because she's like thinking, "Like finally, I'll get married to this guy." Like finally, and meanwhile, and it like, turns out he's the monster from the crime wave article she's <laughs> yes, been reading in yes. like the background of the scene. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> There's another great um, moment with with Jerry. It's just I guess it's just another example of like him being able to go back and forth between this very charming person to a very scary and dominant person when he's with the uh, um, the the blonde woman. Uh, what's I'm sorry, blanking on Velma. Her name. Velma. Velma. Um, and he basically he goes from like like hurting her to kissing her in a matter of five or ten seconds. And it just gives off exactly what he's been presenting this whole time. But it's one of those moments you kind of see um, violence with someone that isn't involved with any job or anything like that. It's just he's willing to kind of take advantage of everybody that's involved in his life. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and it's a moment where he's obviously he's, you know, he's kind of threatening to to hurt a woman, which is contrast mm-hmm. a little bit with Frank Lovejoy when he's freaking out. And he actually briefly mm-hmm. thinks about, you know, doing something violent to to her as well. True, even, and it technically you know, just, does. Yeah. Like, I mean, just yeah. pull out does and then, you know, regrets yeah. it like midway through. But it's a very terrifying and I guess desperate moment for him and you- yeah, he thinks about like strangling her to death basically right. to like yes. cover this up but but be, because of his you know uh, guilt and you know he he instead starts to you know t- tearing at his own face again essentially which gives her enough time to run away and you know and tearfully go and, and, and get the police um, which results in this entire this like crazy sequence where like his his like community and house gets like raided while Judy is out looking for him because he's been missing for a couple days and it's yes. shot in this way where the whole town is like tuning into this pathetic arrest and it's and the, and they're all just like you know brutal eyes everywhere it's like a 1950s episode of like cops as we get like handheld and like all of these officers are coming up to to arrest him and they they actually start like chasing him like through the the, the lawn and everything like that and yes. it it's this and it's, it's really out. the yeah it's the, it's the beginning of like this is about to turn into a community wide story because pretty so far through most a lot of this movie anyway there's been hints of it but we have been pretty locked in with these two guys yeah. um and the movie really really does expand when you know Gil starts writing about the arrests as you know not from a perspective of having pity or by the act of desperate men but as you know this was a brutal piece of deliberate torture by like absolute fucking monsters of our community who yes. need to be like taken out of our community yes um, and the sheriff like warns him the sheriff is like hey man you gotta cool it with this or else we're gonna it's gonna be trouble you know yeah you're you're gonna turn your friends into animals and they're all gonna just start trying to like you know absolutely rip these men men to shreds it reminded me of the the section in um 
the uh, Truman Capote book in cold blood where they find the two killers and they actually start like interrogating them and they plan to hang them. But no one has any sense of like, like being able to make sense how they rationalized what they did. And the state has like no response to it. You know, they're like, we actually don't know how to address this. So, I mean, I guess we just publicly hang them and hope people (laughs) don't do it anymore. You know, (laughs) like, 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 like that's kind of what Capote's book is about is that it's just like, we, we have no way of making sense of this kind of stuff. And, you know, the actual punishment for it doesn't, you know, it also doesn't make sense as, as a result. Um, and so you have this like sensationalized sort of like crowd forming around this tri- trial, like an economy of, of entertainment, which is where you kind of get a little bit of the, the ace in the hole aspect as well. And the Kirk Douglas, very cutthroat sort of like journalist character. Um, Gill kind of replaces that role a, a, a little bit in this for calling him so much of a monsters in, in the paper and very much dehumanizing them. And uh, it, it really does take Judy Howard's wife coming back uh, to be like, look, here's a letter that, you know, uh, Howard oh sent me God. where the he really, exp- is which the is le- the most Oxbow incident thing in the movie, because that movie also ends on the letter getting read by the guy who is about to be killed, where it's like, you know, where it's very much like he's expressing guilt and sorrow. And, uh, you know, even though in, in the Oxbow incident, they also didn't even do it, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Um, yeah. He's expressing guilt and sorrow for the guys who are uh, for the crime they're about to commit of killing him. <laughs> in, in this case, he's like, you know, I didn't know Jerry was going to kill him, but it's not an excuse. Like, I still partook i'm guilty i deserve to die and i'm no good and i just hope you'll forgive and forget me it's fucking brutal yeah it's my the the part that crushes me is that he's he's like uh to his wife he's like forget me don't even think don't think about me anymore and then later on when um gill sees him in the jail he's like tell my wife i love her no don't even tell her that don't do that to her tell her that tell her to forget me yeah and it's like that's like really heartbreaking to me that he's like he can't even express his love or anything to his wife, but the, the, the without causing more pain. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then Gil is, um, after, after she reads him, the, the, after she reads Gil, this letter, after he writes, I think the, t- the headline of the article that eventually gets, gets them killed is, um, cause he pre- is pretty explicitly responsible for the lynch mob that does occur because his mm-hmm. articles like headline is like, um, it's like uh, two psycho killers expected to go free or something. And it's just yeah. total nonsense. <laughs> and it's um, like the trial hasn't even started yet. But um, he's like, yeah, they're going to use the insanity plea and like get off scot-free. And um, like, Meanwhile, you the, still have his European friend in the background being like, yeah, you Vito's must like, not sensationalize. You know, men don't yeah. live in a vacuum. My they favorite, live with one another. <laughs> my favorite suggestion from the European friend is when he's like, why don't you put the editorials on the front page and you put the crime news on the back page? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of a stupid idea, man. It's like, yeah, you, you know, you're, you're not, you're not going to sell any papers, but it, you know, it's, it's good for the, uh, the social fabric of the like, community. People are just going like, to skip. Thanks, man. To, people are just going to skip to the back page, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the wife reads the letter to, um, the letter to uh, Gil and he's like, 
oh fuck <laughs> he's like holy shit what have i done yeah and then he tries to go remedy the situation by you know getting the newspaper to print something other than a horrible vitriolic you know um emotionally stoking. i do like him running into the printing room and being like is it too late and they're like yeah. dude it's printing like what do you mean <laughs> <laughs> you can see it printing right behind yeah. you <laughs> it is great how they uh how they portray the the trial in general because they don't really focus on you know any of the 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 court or anything like that it's really just the media frenzy and how individuals like the characters we've been introduced to are reacting to that media frenzy some are using it for their own advantage some are just horrified that this is all going to be publicized to the world um but i love what they choose to focus on rather than just you know what we already know you know they didn't need anything else other than uh kind of the kind of what they're preying to the the mob destruction that we're gonna see in the in the yeah well well, well, that's why it's so interesting that in in like the last 15 minutes they're like what if suddenly now this is the oxbow incident like what if suddenly (laughs) this is like all of a sudden you know everyone is just knows that we're building towards this awful thing and we're also angry and impatient enough to do it like it's just this grim anticipation of like this thing that is at this point it's it's rolling on the tracks already yeah you can't resist it you can't overpower it even if you go oh shit i was wrong why did i print that oh my god it's like no it's it's begun yeah it's and there's yeah, huge it's wide shots of like the crowd forming outside the jailhouse these amazing shots so many extras for the scene and just like, yeah. like a thousand people easily it's, it's so many people and, and the, the honking and the yelling and just howard and jerry's sweaty faces like behind the shadowy bars as they can yes. just like hear the ambient atmosphere outside of just like pure hatred just brewing and they're like oh my god like we can the, this is gonna this is gonna make its way in like it's yeah. coming the spotlight going back and forth across the jail cells yep. and jerry going like great shot. Right, i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking kill you and like going yeah this is where the most like sort of stuff. like expressionist imagery kind of starts hitting with some of the yes. lighting and some of the use of just like the sort of labyrinthian use of the prison a little bit as as, as well as like the sheriff is like declaring you are all law-abiding citizens these men are entitled to a democratic trial and they're like, yeah. we're going to give them the same trial they gave Donald Miller. You know, yeah. there ain't no laws against doing what is right. That's the thing. It's <laughs> presented like, as such a promise that this is going to happen. Like at, never, at no point do you feel like this mob is going to be calmed down. Every step that they take, the mob is overpowering them, like through the audio, even as he's, you know, like basically megaphoning out to the people, you really can't hear compared to just the screams of the people. They're, they're giving like a, a timeline at a certain point. Like I think it's 11 PM. They're rushing the, the court or rushing the jail station. And um, it's, I think that's actually true too. I think that was based on uh, the, the real lynching that happened. The actual like they storming. were like by 11, we, are going we're going in and it's it's just it's terrifying there really feels like there's no stopping them yeah i the first time i saw this i was like because i did see this on tcm i think i saw both these movies on tcm um oh my god i just said that as like a joke at the beginning yeah there you go (laughs) (laughs) but um the uh noir alley a great tcm segment that plays Mm -hmm. sometimes but um i love the (laughs) the sheriff going to Howard's cell and Howard's like, are you, are you going to be able to hold him back? And the sheriff's like, 
not looking good. <laughs> but the first time I saw this, the I really did think something was going to happen at the end. I'm like, there's no way this movie from like 1950 is going like, to lynch people the main characters, right? Yeah. <laughs> but they do. Yeah. They fully they, do. They fully do. It, and, and it's it, such a crazy sequence because it's a yeah. basically a 15, 10 or 15 minute long, nearly wordless sequence of yes. just footage of, it starts with the cops just like putting on the gas masks and tear gassing the entire the entire crowd yeah um, who is trying to ram their way up the stairs into the jailhouse They've but then the crowd fights back using <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, the crowd use a uses hose. a giant fire hose as a weapon and just the handheld immediacy of the photography of this assault is really wild for 1950 mm-hmm. and and just the focus on the the raw noise the kind of brute force like frenzied rampaging of these characters one of my favorite shots was just like all of the dudes heaving on the door like they're storming troy or something yeah. like it does become like it's like it's such a crazy moment that leads and- into that like one of them raiding the office, which is one of the most gorgeous shots in the movie of them. You know, it's like oh, a yeah. hallway shot that then dollies over into the room and you can just see, the, you know, you can hear them coming up the stairs. You can see this like mass of bodies just like flooding in like zombies and they're like stealing the keys from the guy. But it's done in this incredible shot where he's like literally running from one room to the other room to grab the keys and he ends up grabbing them. And it's in this close up shot of him holding them, you know, struggling to resist this crowd yeah. and they literally like yank it out of his hands and they you know start making their way through it, it it's it's really crazy watching them just like infect each room of yeah. this yeah. like and it's you my, know of of this jail place just with violent hysteria one of my favorite little moments like that is when it there's a moment where it shows inside one of the jail cells and um there's like an old man with a hearing aid in the jail cell and he just takes out his hearing aid <laughs> it's just loud it's like so like it's so like funny and like horrifying at the same time yeah there's also just how um like we already mentioned just how many extras there are in that in that street scene but um there are honestly a ton of extras too when they start to get inside the station like josh like what you were just saying when they take the keys from the guy it seems like it's hundreds of people piling into that one room and there is honestly yeah, like barely they, fitting through the doors and shit. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like it's, it's, a, it's a mass of bodies. They're like yeah. falling over each other and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, it's <laughs> wild. And, and at a certain point, especially when the two guys that, you know, they're trying to get are uh, captured by them. I honestly was feeling kind of scared for just the actors outside of the the characters just physically because it, it really feels like at a certain point it would be hard to completely control all of that. They use a lot of extras and it really feels yes. authentically chaotic and physical, like very it's- violent. Because um, the extras are like old ladies and like young men, like y- old men. Like it's a total cross section of like a community basically. And it's so yeah. like... And there's no time between, like, they don't just carry them away. They basically circle beat them after they get out of their cells. And you see all of that. And then there's just so much. I do like Jerry briefly being like, dude, what if I went like... Yeah, John he's like, come on, a second. You yeah. know, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna he do the whole hallway boy. fight, and they just the immediately mode. swarm him. <laughs> and yeah. they, they like crowd surf Howard down the stairs after, like, at one point, and like, 
Yeah, it's very... Oh my god, that shot of him crowd surfing down and you have Gil seeing the reflection of him being crowd surfed where he's like, oh, they're literally gonna drag this man out like screaming and crying and, you know, it's like literally a C movement that I can't stop from happening. Yeah. It's just gonna go right by me. Yeah. That's what's a really terrifying thought is the the cut from... Um, the, the whole the mob violence to the sun waking up as if it's a nightmare and us knowing full well yeah. that it absolutely is not and he is about yeah. to get a rude awakening uh it's it's yeah it's it's incredibly well done this finale especially is so good it's a really well directed sequence and it's so vi- like obviously we've talked about how great visually it is and how it kind of it breaks the kind of movie it is to do this where you're like no well you can't you you set this up we care about this working class dude who fell into petty crime you know like you can't just like have a rampaging mob just have a 15 minute violent set piece where they drag him out to kill him in the street that doesn't make that's not really cathartic you know yeah. it's not really and then <laughs> it's yeah. not really a great them, story it's, you know it's, it's, <laughs> but it's like it's the it's it's like the ultimate catharsis for the people in the town and it's like the yeah. anti the antithesis of a, cathar- a catharsis for like the people watching the movie it's like so no and and I thought there was something genius about the fact that they don't even build to the catharsis of the crowd like doing it and like having the reactions to it or anything it's like they drag him out and we stick with Gil and the, you know, the guy who runs the paper and like the chief of police. And they basically just hear the noise get further and further away as they presumably take them to where they're going to hang them. And that's yeah. like, yeah. that's what we're left sitting in is just like this like giant, noisy, crazy frenzy just like took us for a couple minutes and then it's gone and we know what they're going to do. And we just we couldn't stop them. And, and now, that was that. And now know? the only thing that they're left with, at least, like this this last thought is, well, maybe you can say, like, don't let them forget it. Don't let them forget what has happened tonight. And and maybe I we can learn from this. But the th- sound all, of fury. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but we also know, given the real story, that everyone did forget and completely some people thought it was just justice, including yeah. the governor in charge. So it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy to even see that ending and have them be like, We've learned our lesson and yeah. in reality nobody did. So, yeah. Well, yeah, well, because that's what that's what the movie's trying to be. Right. It's like, remember this thing that happened in the 1930s? That was pretty fucked up. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild. huh? <laughs> and I, I really love that. Like, um, it's, it's like so good. It's like it's maybe my favorite um, scene in an American noir movie, which is why I knew I was like, I got to bring this one on. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty incredible, and and that is literally the ending. Like yeah. it's crazy. Like it's such yeah, a it's such thesis. a grim Vito ending. Vito has like a like a a, a little um, what's the like an eight what is it ADR kind of thing where it goes over top and narrates <laughs> uh, his thesis. Yeah, he has, he, he has a little bit of recurring flashback voiceover <laughs> yeah. of one of the things he was saying earlier about you know sort of like the you know the the social breakdown of you know <laughs> right right <laughs> of, of 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 violence and you know all all of this. We're like, all right, Vito, Vito, all right, Vito. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. You know, but it's great. It's, it's primal. It's yeah. modern. You know, you, you're getting you're getting the crazy cars. You're getting the rocks. You know, you, it's like Vito. I, 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 I see where you're point. going. Yeah, <laughs> we're sick of we're get out of. Here, man <laughs> shut up Vito <laughs> yeah but no no it's very good and I do think it's very funny that one of the few things I could find about 
that because I was literally trying to research what, what happened there. And, and Enfield did basically say that the amount of veto that's in the movie was uh, a, a fight he lost with the studio. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and and that is really the only like, honestly, the only thing that I find kind of like a little bit annoying about the movie. Totally. Other than that, like if we're pivoting towards reductive rating around, this was a very, very solid um, four for me. I think it's really crazy because I, I actually did not know this mob lynching story at all. So it was interesting to see to to just have that aspect and go research it. If anyone wants yeah, to look it up, I think it was uh, the Brook Brook Hart Brook Leopold Hart. If you uh, Google him, you should come up with the entire story. But it's it's pretty uh, accurate um, to that, and you know is a good entry point to be like we'll start in the realm of like a petty crime sort of post war financial desperation noir. Like you've seen a movie where you know like a vet comes back and he doesn't have money and he's got to get into like the mob. Like this is like you know it's very familiar noir territory, and then seeing him introduce the sort of sensationalist crime media stuff, start throwing in the you know sort of the collective psychological effects of. Um, you know, this this uh, hysteria that is building and this hatred and this distrust amongst the community and everything like that. So I, I, I think that Enfield does a really good job handling all of that. Obviously, the thing, the points of comparison here are all movies I love. The Oxbow Incident, The Hitchhiker, Ace in the Hole, even a little bit of In Cold Blood. And it this actually predates most of those except for Oxbow Incident. Right, um, yeah which is the only one that, that, that had come before it. So it's, it's pretty cool to see all of that in kind of a B noir. And, uh, I think honestly the performances are really good. Like I like Frank Lovejoy again, Mm -hmm. he's sweaty, he's tormented, he's tearing his face off. You've got Lloyd Bridges who is incredibly, uh, just like charming and, and, but, but yeah, just absolutely manipulative and, and, and vicious, uh, on, on a dime in a way that makes him, you know, really uncomfortable and how fast he just slips into, you know, going insane and, and killing people and how horrible it is for Howard is, you know, you, you do get that tense claustrophobic experience being locked in with those two characters. And so like, it's good as that type of movie. And then it's like, what if that type of movie was literally just absolutely steamrolled by one of the most horrifying and grim finales where, you know, Enfield really, really gets to show off both um, uh, visually and sonically with that entire jailhouse raid sequence. And, you know, the the, just the 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 pure chaos and frenzy of it is incredibly well done. And Mm -hmm. in my opinion, uh, unlike the studio, you know, guys, I guess I was like, I thought it got the message cross pretty well <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know did the job for sure that, that that do you know what you know crime and violence are a kind of moral social and economic failure and more of a sign of a defective environment than necessarily an individual psychology and i think that enfield absolutely captured that in you know uh, formally and, and in the narrative without having a uh, suave marxist european man say that to you out yeah. front but <laughs> again times. basically <laughs> Basically, the only uh, qualm I have with it, this was very solid. I'm very glad that I watched it. And it's incredibly underseen. So yeah, it is. People yeah. should, uh, you know, I think it's, only it's like angry, 2K. it's wildly stylized. People should check it out. Yeah, I think it's only got like 2,000 entries on Letterboxd or something like that. So That's definitely insane. underseen. That's fucking insane. Yeah, we got to get those numbers up. It is, it's, <laughs> it is one of the... One of the best noir endings especially that I've apparently seen really by the way martin scorsese owns the only remaining 35 millimeter print so uh martin oh my god release hey, come on yeah hey. we need the people need to see it 
Um, yeah. yeah, I'm also going to give it a four. Uh, agreed with everything you said, really. Uh, I think that this is, I, I, I just love the level of control that, uh, that Enfield has with kind of starting it off like a more traditional melodrama noir and then turning it into this almost horrifying, like thriller, almost horror movie kind of thing at the end. It's it, And the, the level of control he has when it, it does break into the chaos is, is fantastic. That whole 15 minute finale building the mob and then when they they're just unleashed into the station is is truly incredible it's really good um and just as a coincidence i saw that the uh the composer for this actually did ace in the hole as well just uh, as a kind of a Let's go. We've been talking about it and yes. the one the one last thing i wanted to mention and i don't know we might have mentioned it and i just missed it um but uh there was there's that weird moment where with the kind of uh hazel's like desperate loneliness where she seems to drug Howard at a certain point and then like kisses him while he's kind of unconscious uh, during that date sequence. Oh yeah. And, that, and, that is and, true. And, and, and it's just, it's a moment. It, they don't really go, they don't return to it or anything like that, but it does do a good job. This movie of showing just everybody's kind of, um, you know, their, their, their personal issues, what they're going through, what this kind of environment is, is doing to people, I guess. And didn't, different ways mm-hmm. um but yeah just that was a, a very strange moment and i wanted to include it if we didn't so anyway it's uh yeah. <laughs> it's it's really good really good stuff so four out of five yeah for you Hessa. i would do five out of five i really love nice. this movie. oh let's go yes i really love the ending and how evil the ending is <laughs> how, like <laughs> spooky it is and i do it love is the, it is unsettling yeah and i love the like little um you know, the sweatiness of it. Mm-hmm. And I love a good, sweaty, evil noir. And the ending really is like the cherry on top for me, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just shocked at how it really does like decide to just break the movie that you've been watching. Like you, you feel like, you know, that you're familiar with this kind of story and yeah. then it's like, it hits the trial and it's like, no, this is just, this is where it's going. This is, we're going to go with the grimmest, most unsentimental and like just like angry, violent ending you could possibly um, and I think imagine. I think them setting it up in these like hoity-toity rich party rooms is a way for you to kind of feel at ease that whatever they're talking about won't necessarily happen. Like it's not you're not seeing it yes. come from the ground up. You're just seeing it appear at a certain point, and that's the terrifying thing. It's like we haven't we they didn't know what they were doing because they can't see it kind of swell. Um, even though they're they're given yeah. they're given the proper warnings, that's not what I'm saying. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that's kind but of yeah. Cool they're too. they're in yeah. a bubble. They're in their right. ivory towers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Hessa made a good point when it was like how much we spend with Gill in his like very comfortable rooms right. versus Howard right. in in his not. And so when you see the ending, these are all these characters thinking they're getting justice, but it literally is a bunch of very comfortable rich people just dragging a poor man out into the street and killing him for, <laughs> yeah. you know, being desperate Jesus. and falling for a hustler's plan, right? Like it's like if you start to really think about that, it's, you know, it's a, it's a it's a very left-wing idea presented in a very shocking and tense and, you know, very blunt fashion mm-hmm. that is uh, you know, pretty pretty upsetting to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and and also it got Enfield uh, blacklisted. Uh, he literally had to flee <laughs> the country yeah. in less than a year after making this movie. So it's hard as fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, if you haven't seen The Sound of Fury, would very much um, recommend it. But that is going to wrap it up on The Sound of Fury, and we're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking about Shadow on the Wall. Stick around. It's the whole rest of my life you want this time. My own husband. We are back and we are talking Shadow on the Wall, the 1950 psychological thriller film noir directed by one Patrick Jackson, adapted uh, by William Ludwig from a 1943 published story called Death in the Doll's House and starring Anne Southern, Zachary Scott, and uh, Gigi Perot, the little girl, apparently like MGM's darling child who had been in like... <laughs> oh, Gigi Perot? Gigi Perot. That's what it yeah. is. She was yes. in like 20 and movies before this one or something like that. Yeah. Yep. They, they, they had her on that um, Judy Garland grind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and, and sorry, and also Nancy Davis Reagan, Miss, Miss First Lady herself in... The throat uh, goat. The throat <laughs> and, in this, everyone. And was this her? I, I I don't remember if I read that this was her debut or not. Was this her debut? I don't think it was. Her I think debut. I think not what I read was it. that she did a few smaller roles, but this was her big kind of uh, breaking. Oh role. yeah. Okay. So yeah. yeah, she did only two other roles, uh, both in 1949, and this was her definitely her highest um, build because her other one she was le- she was last build in a movie with Janet Lee and Glenn Ford. Mm. Um, and then she, she's apparently in a Mervyn Leroy film as well. Oh, uh, the guy, yeah. The guy who did like, I am a fugitive from a chain gang and little Caesar. So that's sort of interesting. I might want to check that out. What the hell? Yeah. Called <laughs> East side, West side. So might have to, mm. might have to, ch- might have to check that out. But, uh, yeah, this one is, um, <laughs> I I could tell instantly. I actually didn't even have to look this up to find this out. So this was MGM's response to a little RKO hit that we've covered on this podcast. (laughs) A really great film, actually, by um, the um, cinematographer of the Alfred Hitchcock film Notorious, a guy named Ted Tetzlaff. And in 1949, he had a huge hit of a thriller film called The Window, um, Love that which movie. is this very dark, very tense uh, child endangerment noir film about a kid witnessing a murder and basically trying to warn everyone who will listen to him. But because he's like known for spending his days like kind of like lying and dreaming and making up stories um, that like, you know, he's like a Western hero or an adventure hero and, you know, n- no adults believe him. And so no adults believe him when he said when he's like, yeah, I saw like a rear window style murder. And the, the <laughs> two people who did it are like actually trying to like break into my apartment and kill me and shit. Everyone's like, oh, this little scamp, you know, what, what is he what's he talking about? Um, it's a really, really great film. And also for yeah, anyone interested awesome. in like sort of like New York location work on film, the location shooting of the Lower East Side in that is like one one of the earliest like majority on location actual street shooting for a noir film um mm-hmm. so it's really hey, gorgeous to look that's at that's where i live hey that's right <laughs> forget about it <laughs> um 
but 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 the window was was such a huge hit with audiences and for RKO that MGM literally went like, wait, don't we have the rights to like a story about like a little girl who witnesses a murder or something? You know, <laughs> like yeah. you know she witnesses like her aunt kill her mom, <laughs> frame her dad, you know, something like that. You know, and uh, and thus this film was born. And they um, apparently, you know, it, it had a little bit of development problems where you know they lost a director and they had to bring in this guy named uh, Pat Jackson who was this um, British filmmaker who apparently came from like a wealthy family that lost all of their money in the 1929 stock market crash and so he was like all British people he was like what if I work for the post office (laughs) (laughs) and so he got into film by being in the marketing department at the post office which eventually became the UK government's like Ministry of Information film department and so he was like making documentary films about like you know like the wartime effort uh, you know come on guys and you know that that kind of stuff and so i have no idea how he got on mgm's radar but they brought him in to replace a director on this this is only american film and it bombed so hard that he never made an american film again <laughs> damn <laughs> uh it's too bad so, Yep. Poor, I mean, he comes up with a couple striking images. It's definitely not not his fault. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the, the premise of this death in the doll's house, um, which was like this sort of like serialized Saturday evening post uh, thriller story is, uh, you know, it's it's it's, it's a quite tense and, and, and kind of perverse one. So, you know, I, I, I do think that in, if we're we'll eventually compare it to some other movies that have done this premise, I don't know if it's necessarily the uh, most athletic and the most tense one they've ever made. <laughs> Yes. Of this, but uh, but it's, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty solid, and and it's and it's pulpy, and it's fun. Yeah, yeah. I I I love movies like this. Like Shadow of a Doubt also is yep. my favorite Hitchcock movie. It's like one of my favorite movies ever. And Corruption um, Within the Home, that kind of thing. Yes. More this anti-Americanism one. from Hesse. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Lock her up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I, um, I, what I love about this one is that it goes from the very beginning. When I was first watching this on TCM, I was like, oh, this must be like a family drama type thing about like a, a you know, a wife who cheats on her husband and like they have to like deal with that. Oh, that's such a and funny realized, way to like, because you, you were just like, you were just randomly threw it on, like no idea what yes, it was. Yeah. That's so and, funny. I could totally and, see that. <laughs> and I like, I was, and it suddenly became this movie about, um, a, like Anne Southern trying to Wiley Coyote style kill a child in different Looney Tunes <laughs> ways by like in this like psych ward. And I was just like, Oh, so this is so funny. Strange. <laughs> I kind of love this. Yeah, because I because I I told like I knew the premise going into it because I kind of looked up what it what it was in in advance when when Hessa was pitching it. But I could totally see that anyone who just like was just browsing TCM one day and the opening stuff of it, which is just like, you know, one has this incredible opening shot, which is the shot that like looks like a normal sort of like white house and, and, and the yard and the fence and everything like that. It's very ominous music over it. And it's revealed by the end of the credits to be the little girl, Susan Starling's dollhouse in her bedroom. Um, and so like that, that's a, a, a kind of like 
a, a strange mood setter and it's a little off-putting but like if you miss that part the opening stuff of this it's like the father you know uh david played by zachary scott from mildred pierce he's just like he's returned home from like a six-week business trip and mm-hmm. you know he's uh the, so the happy and loving and everything like that yep. at least yeah. at first yeah the nice little familial melodrama where you, you know, his, the, the stepmom Celia played by Christine uh, Miller, you know, um, she, she feels a little distant from uh, the, the daughter feels a little distant from her stepmom and thinks that she doesn't really care her for her father. And, you know, which, you know, he thinks is a really cruel thing for her to think, but it bears some truth when he catches her, you know, lying about being at a matinee with, with her girlfriend. And instead she was out and about with her sister, uh, Dell's, uh, you know, a uh, pinstriped mustachioed fiance, <laughs> uh, a, a, a man named crane played by Tom Helmer who is actually the husband who hires Jimmy Stewart in Vertigo. And I, I it, it took oh, me a nice. while to place him. Oh. Um, but I was like, why do I recognize this guy? Um, what uh, of, but what but my, yeah, it's... it's, it's, it's sorry, just, oh, go ahead. just real quick. One of my favorite... Because I think it, it just lines up with how this film is presented and then kind of just very bluntly goes into the like family corruption stuff um, is the a very the, the opening where it's just the suburban home and it's this like lovely beautiful uh, orchestral music and as soon as the title card pops up it dives right into this like this mysterious evil something is lurking beneath kind of music and it's so uh, just so blatant the way it goes from that to this um, that I found honestly I really I really enjoyed but I think it was kind of showing you the uh, uh, the simplicity of what's what's going to be presented to you as compared to maybe some other noirs Yes, it's 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 very Looney Tunes in its presentation. <laughs> like there's like the part where um which I really love about it. I don't know. It's I th- I find it kind of hypnotic and like entrancing. Like the parts where you know, Anne Southern after um after killing her sister and then get, like her brother-in-law takes the blame for it. Mm-hmm. Um she writes a letter like confessing everything and is about to mail it to the police. And, but she's get goes to get her hair done first. And she imagines that the hairdressing thing is like an electric chair that she's being strapped into. And it's like, it's so like a Bugs Bunny, Wile E. Coyote. (laughs) It's, it's so good. And like the little girl is like exaggerated, like screams and like the weird, you know, the psychology that happens in this yeah this is how you unlock the inner memories that you have and and uh kind of eventually once they get to some of the evidence when she's the doctor's breaking it down we'll we'll break all this down but it gets very um excuse me uh i I don't know pseudo intellectual or or whatever you want to call it like you know she's looking Uh, at this 1950s psychiatry is what i would call it yeah Yeah, definitely definitely (laughs) and um honestly i got a kick out of that too i kind of enjoyed them trying to break down every little uh psychology step so that things made sense and all of that yeah, but I, but I, I really do love that it it like takes like the opening like what like twenty or thirty minutes before it even reveals that aspect of it. Like it is uh, yeah, just I think like it's forty here's, minutes yeah. on the dot because it's it's like an eighty minute movie, and I, I think I here here it is like an, an an adultery melodrama where Anne Southern, um, who is 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 the uh, sister of the stepmom, and Anne Southern, by the way, only ever seen her in the Curtis Harrington film, The Killing Kind. Uh, but she's really good. 
good in that film as like the overbearing mother to like a psycho killer uh, essentially and and in this they try to give her like a little bit of like a Gloria Graham kind of look um and 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 try to play her in in that realm um but I very much enjoyed that it was just at first like you know, they start throwing in the sort of subtle lighting changes and camera movements as characters start like probing each other's deceptions and everything. But it is like a scene of like, you know, David questioning, you know, like the, the father questioning the stepmom, you know, you know, who who, you know, she, he saw her uh, get dropped off by the fiance and she just lies about it to his face. And, you know, yeah. he's kind of like drenched in shadows when he, when he hears that lie and you're like, oh, well, what the fuck's going on here? And then there's a huge push in on um, uh, Dell's face as he confronts both Crane and the stepmom at the same time, you know, tricking them essentially into admitting that he went to the play, too, and that he was not in a business meeting, as he had told the sister. Yeah. And they told so, separate you know, lies to each of their each of their spouses slash fiancés. Yeah. And that push it on Dell when she's when that gets exposed and she's kind of putting two and two together. And, you know, so like there's there's these really great moments where you're starting to get a little bit of the sort of dark sort of psychological noirish sort of camera trickery but it is all just like i caught you cheating and that and, you yeah. know that that's the extent of how like dark this and and it's like you know shots of them drinking and dining and doing general pleasantries around the house become these like wide shots of david like quietly shuffling them out the door and into the building elevator or rummaging through the bedroom as as seen through sort of like celia's mirror which turns into this like tense violent argument sequence where which is where the movie makes its transition where David discovers Crane's handkerchief in in his bedroom robe and starts moving towards the stepmom Celia, brandishing this souvenir gun, you know, that he just got in like yeah. his it, 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 he had in his suitcase from his trip. And she's like, put it away. She's like freaking out. And she bashes him over the head with this like big brass, like hand mirror, um, thinking that she's like killed him. And it that's when uh, Dell is the one who who comes in and reassures her, you haven't killed your husband been everything's going to be fine but at the same time i'm going to unload years of resentments on you for what yeah. you have just done to me like like you've just you've had an She's affair like, with my fiance and this is like this is like when you took my dress when we were kids this is yeah. like <laughs> he's like you always get everything you want and then she freaks out and you know accidentally shoots her with the gun basically and it's like oh fuck and then the little girl is in the doorway and sees the the um the titular shadow, shadow. the yeah. titular shadow on the wall i did laugh honestly when the celia gets shot after you know she kind of works herself up into a rage being like you know you ruined my first date now you've taken my fiance you've taken my home you've taken my whole life you know and it's, it's my turn to live she's like bam you know pulls the guns out shoots her and she you know, it's a very impulsive decision and the imagery of Celia like very exaggeratedly falling and like pulling at the lamp as it falls oh, yeah. and breaks on the floor yes. just in the perfect spot so it could cast this massive imposing shadow on the wall just in time for the little girl to like not see anything other than her dead stepmom. Her father, like, you know, being reawoken from being unconscious and being beaten over the head. Yeah. And she just starts screaming at the sight of this shadow and freaking out. 
my my favorite thing about that that's kind of funny is that right after the um right after the Celia character does the exaggerated fall the dad wakes up for two seconds and then like <laughs> literally gets up and then passes out like immediately again. Like, yeah, right. he takes two steps and then falls <laughs> yeah, on his face. <laughs> they did like the three step punch from kill bill on him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the dad like falls and the shadow on the wall is like an outline of what, um, Dell is wearing and it's basically like um, it's like this feather in her cap almost yeah, kind of deal yeah she has a feather in her cap and she has um like and basically the one of the psychological elements going on with them trying to decode who exactly um like use the little girl's like psyche to figure out who killed her to figure out, yeah, who killed her is they, the dad got her a toy when he got home from the, his business trip. That's right. Yeah. And the toy is like a, a pretty, um, non politically correct native American doll with like a feather in its hair. That and she calls Cupid. Yeah. She calls Cupid because he has like a bow and arrow and, um, I guess the darkness of the shadow on the wall in that shape, it reminds the girl of the doll, which is, you know, very, (laughs) very interesting. Which leads to some (laughs) unbelievable sequences where they, they start to have almost these like inner, like dream sequences or in her mind sequences where they're connecting these two images. And so you have the, the silhouette of the doll and the, the shadow on the wall kind of like, coming together slowly until the the shapes kind of line up and that's yeah, how you figure out the it wasn't my dad who killed down. my mom it was this native was american Cupid. man yeah, who just walked in <laughs> it's it's really she really is like they get to that point after a point and it's very like it's it's so Looney Tunes and crazy. Yeah, it is. And the way that it moves is very funny because it is just like at, immediately after that scene, it's like cut to the courtroom. The judge is like, uh, the dad did it. Yeah, we, I sentenced him to death. You know, yeah. bam. He has, two weeks, he has two weeks to live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, my favorite is when the judge and, 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 like, and I love he accepts it too. He's like, "Well, you know what? I don't remember, like, well, uh, you know, killing I her. I guess but I you know, it makes sense. I, I was the last thing I remember system, is pointing so. a gun at her, and then I was, you know, unconscious. So you know, he I has, guess I he shot has, her. <laughs> he has all the psychological depth of Howard at writing his letter in that moment when he's like, well, yeah. them, them the breaks. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but um, the, like I really love." Um, like in the courtroom when the judge is like, all right, guilty sentence to death. I assume that the, uh, I assume that the defense will make its, uh, will make the usual appeals. And the defense attorney's like, yes, we will your honor. And he's like, all right, they're denied. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I don't think that's how it works. (laughs) Let's have lunch. (laughs) I think someone else has to say, (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) I did um yeah. one detail I do like in that scene. I think it ends it is um uh, uh Dell is wearing all black and they have this shot of her leaving with the rest of the crowd of people and she seems to be the only one. It gave it gave like a kind of like a funeral vibe, but it's it's strange with her character because at first she does seem 
I mean, besides the off the handle, kill your sister moment, she does seem very uh, like a sympathetic character. Um, and, yes. and at first she seems to actually feel kind of guilty about what has happened and, and what. Yeah, you, you, has- you see her openly suppress, you know, yeah. like speaking up and like being like, he didn't do it, judge. Yeah. And, yeah. She, and you can tell that there's that guilt. And this is before, of course, she has what we were talking about with the uh, the hairdresser sequence and all that. Her fear yeah. comes into play. But um, I do like Such that initially visual. she's presented that way and then she just gets more and more evil from there really well because yeah, I, I, I i think i think it's meant to be similar to the frank lovejoy thing right where she's mm, meant yeah. to be very normal and in a moment mm-hmm. of kind of sympathetic just fury you know she did this thing and now she kind of has to commit to doing this thing yeah mm-hmm. now no, you know even even though she doesn't think of herself as someone capable of of it yeah the it's, movie itself doesn't even really present her initially as like the star or anything. You'd think that it's going to focus on, um, uh, which is uh, why David. I was so shocked. It's, it's why I was so shocked, but like it becomes this yeah, <laughs> like totally. crazy comedy of errors of a woman trying to murder a child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. and, and it, is, it is funny to think about a movie that is structured around the aspect that we know who the murderer is the whole time. And we spend most of this runtime with her as she's like, am I going to kill this kid? Is it possible to kill this kid without getting caught? I don't know. I, you know, well, we're going to figure that out as as we kind of go along. And and like I I thought at a certain point was going to be more about the kid, maybe because I was so primed by the window, which is the kid's perspective the whole time. And even Shadow of a Doubt, which so many of the scenes are, you know, mostly from the the, the niece's uh, perspective. But this really never gives over to Susan, the little girl. We have a couple of scenes with her. Um that are where good. you know I do like the yeah, one they're, they're, with the uh, with the the boy and the glass of milk. That's, that's good a good one. scene. Oh my well, god, well, that is Looney Tunes ass shit. You oh, can't yeah. that, tell that's not Looney. Such Tunes a ridiculous hell. scene. But even the scenes <laughs> like just in the psychiatry, you know, office in general, where she's like, you know, mm-hmm. being observed through this one way mirror playroom at the institution run by Dr. Caroline uh, Canford, who is, uh, you know, uh, Miss, you know, first lady of of, of, of President Ronald Reagan, Miss 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 yes. Nancy uh, Reagan, who maybe again, the most evil, one of the most evil women of the twentieth century. <laughs> <laughs> just casually trying to probe into this child's head. I do yeah, think it's well, funny. And, that, and that what's have... crazy is she's good in the movie. Like I actually oh, thought yeah, her performance is. is very caring and very oh, determined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I do what I like too. And and I and I understand like why would she why she would be doing it because she's trying to help the child and solve the case and everything like that. But I do like that. Really, nine times out of ten, when she's interacting. Um, with with the with the uh, Susan, she she's kind of manipulative as well as um, oh one hundred percent. But she's doing it yeah. in this way that's trying to like you know fix her what what she's going through mentally um, and solve. Yeah, the one case. of the most so unaddressed aspects of this movie, in my opinion, is that she is openly trying to be like, "Hey, little girl, I know that you like don't remember this incredibly traumatic thing, and it's because you it traumatized it, you, and, you know? and, and it's so painful <laughs> that you don't like you're blocking it. Yeah, but yeah please enter into that space again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's yeah. like, if you just remember it for one second, 
for one second. It'll cure everything will be you. good again. It'll and my, yeah. cure you, and it would really do well for my career. Please, and it does. It cures. It cures her. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and 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 great imagery too of her trying to like therapeutically, like visually recreate the space and actually like draw out the repressed memory of of that night, so to help her presumably overcome her, you know, shock or her 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 trauma um, surrounding it. And in the process of doing that, she discovers that you know she saw a murder that it wasn't it didn't go down exactly as as it went down but she she saw this strange shape and in in time you know through these you know sort of little processes they might be able to progress it into you know having a little bit of a of, of, of a clearer picture because she's like you know was it like a guilty fantasy figure where a girl couldn't believe her dad did it so she projected it onto this shadow or was there someone else physically in the room who who might have done that and they are pretty open about the fact that that's what they're investigating and they yeah. all do just include Anne Southern's Dell in every step of that process so you get so much of this movie is just the doctors being like yeah, so we think that there was someone else in the room and she's going to tell us like tomorrow and you just get <laughs> Dell just like in the corner being like, well, that that's not good. Like, that's a kind of a problem. And I love that hilarious phone call she places where she's like, you know, hey, Mr. Lawyer, you know, best friend of my husband, you know, whatever. Can someone be convicted on the testimony of a child? And he's like, uh, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, obviously. What, what do you mean? Like, you know, children aren't like, you know, just incompetent. Like they know what they see. Like, and she's like, Oh, <laughs> like, oh that's kind man, of a problem. Thanks for, for that me. information. <laughs> Goodbye. It's so funny. Cause like every time she talks to them, she's like, Hey, so, um, you know, no, no progress. Right. And they're like, Oh no, we just had a ton of progress. We're so close now. We're like, we're so close. I'd to give it a few out. hours. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, no, you're not, you're not that cold. You should, you should stop now. <laughs> like, no. And there's even a part like towards the end where they figure out that there was this shadow on the wall. Um, they're like, could it, it, it could be Dell, right? It could, could have been Dell. <laughs> yeah. And the other doctor is well, like, he's like, no, she's been <laughs> hanging out in all the meetings. <laughs> what do you mean? Yes, that's, that's his defense. It's like, yeah. no, it could be her. She's been motivation. hanging out. We, t- <laughs> yes, we told her everything we've been doing. And I like how, like, yeah, I guess you're right. And I like how too that conversation, um, like what they're saying implies that she hasn't even popped up once in their head as as like a yes. as a suspect. And I'm like, she is literally the one, possibly the only one alive right now, or not in prison with the motivation. <laughs> so what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, that's the, that is one funny. of the funniest things when they're like, well, we don't really understand, like, like, like. Crane had no motive. He couldn't have possibly been involved in this. And they were like, well, what about the woman who, you know, her sister cheated on her fiance? I don't you know, see with it. Her. Like, I'm not seeing it. it they were like, well, I guess that I'm would not, be yeah. motive technically. You know, I don't but, fuck with the vision. I don't fuck with the vision. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It is. Yeah, it is very funny. Yeah. Well, the, the, and the, the one thing I'll say about this is that it is kind of ridiculous and it is very Oh, it's so and, ridiculous. Yeah. And and there's room, I think, to like really lean into how disturbingly, I guess, ridiculous it is. And mm-hmm. one of the things I found interesting about this in comparison, since it so blatantly was greenlit in the wake of, is how 
like unexciting in comparison to the window it tries to be where in 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 that film you had like a hitchcock cinematographer like doing a series of crazy set pieces like doing these low angle shots doing these really shadowy dangerous you know twists of like suspenseful dramatic irony of the kid having all this information the parents don't have and yeah and 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 doing this whole thing the entire time where like you know every adult in his community is just resisting or dismissing um his his cries like i think about that scene where the 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 two the couple the murderous couple kidnap the boy and take him in like the taxi cab and the taxi cab driver's just like yeah i i believe that this kid is uh, your kid just because you say that even though the kid is like screaming and crying saying these aren't my parents they're trying to kill me like yeah yeah, image when he has the conversation and he's in the taxi cab and he's also having a conversation with a cop that's outside the taxi cab (laughs) and i think the last thing he says is something like they're not my mom and dad and the and you see just just the cop waving and smiling like, oh, you, <laughs> you silly boy, you. It's, yeah, it's terrifying stuff. But yeah, it, yeah, it does so give that so- kind of vibe. It's just, this one, it, it has a little bit more, it's it's just sillier. It really is. Just because I yeah, think they're trying to break down all this like psychology and she gets into this mental state where she won't even show emotion anymore. And they make it a point at the beginning to show that she's a very fun and loving child that makes a lot of jokes with her dad and all of that stuff. So um, you know, they're trying to break it down that way. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's not quite I, as I, I thrilling, just found this. Well, I was going to say, I just found this for how perverse it is as a premise that here's a woman just mm-hmm. thinking about murdering a child witness for most of the runtime. Yeah, it is just it's it's was surprisingly like kind of like low energy, considering that's the psychological perspective <laughs> yeah, that we're in. Yeah, um, it's because like the the scenes of the of talking to the kid and trying to coax this like information yeah. out of her just kill all momentum. And like something about like all of the the like her attempts to kill her, the kid are so comical. And like like (laughs) the chocolate milk scene is unbelievable. Basically what happens is she is does is like, all right, I got to kill this kid. I'm going to pour all these pills. I'm going to unload like a thousand pills into this uh, glass of chocolate milk and stir it around. And and, and And the only tool the psychiatrists have to like hang out, like get on these children's wavelength is to just give them all a giant glass of chocolate milk for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. And the, um, it's so funny because like she, first of all, she spills half of the like powder mixture that from like the 30 cracked open like opiates that she just poured in there she pours like a, a good portion of it onto the table next to the chocolate milk and then never has a chance to clean it up and the the little girl she's like all right why don't you drink this chocolate milk and then i'll we'll do something like do something fun and then but only if you drink she, it all yeah, she's like, you gotta, it's all gotta be gone by the time I get back. And then, well, it's so funny leaves. how perverse of a sequence it is, but it is, yeah. it's so, it's, it's a flat scene of two kids being like, who's gonna drink this chocolate milk? There's like a big glass of chocolate <laughs> do, milk sitting on, right between us. They're doing they do, like a stand up bit about it. Yeah. <laughs> who's on first about who's gonna drink the chocolate milk? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The boy coming in to just like, give me your chocolate milk just made me laugh too. There was something about yeah. that his like, just, <laughs> the boy he's like i like chocolate in. milk 
I drink my whole glass of chocolate milk. <laughs> yeah, she's she's like, that's so great. Like, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and the, oh, the really funny thing is that if, it seems like she doesn't even like chocolate milk at all because like no. the, Nancy Reagan tries to give it to her earlier and she's just like, I don't want yeah, it. Yeah. I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, all right, I guess I gotta force and, myself. And the sequence is diffused in. by the kids just accidentally knocking it over. Just being yes. co- incompetent, clumsy kids. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, it's, like, the, and, and, it's, but, it's but that's just it. Like, this is, this is, is a scene. To thwart her plan, you know what I mean? Like, well, it, yeah, yes. like, th- this is a scene of a woman trying to poison a child to death, and it is, like, comedically flatly handled as just, like, here is just, a, you know, she gives her, you know, the, the, the tension, I guess, is meant to be that we know there's poison in it and it's like which of these kids is going to drink it and then yeah yeah they just well they they just knock it over and that's what i mean by that it, it it weirdly doesn't have like a ton of like tension or pull to it in just some of the way that it was made despite the fact that like the premise absolutely is yeah, and it, it that's such like a bizarre experience of of watching it where it is so much of just Dell, like, you know, making little noises to distract from Susan's testimony or like trying to undermine it in front of David's lawyer or like taking a small boat ride to dispose of her clothes from that night. And I was I guess because I had shadow of a doubt kind of in my mind and the window in my mind, which are from the perspective of the kids. And I think that this is a much scarier movie from Susan's perspective. If you were just like, yeah. and, 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 and if she had like found out about it earlier and she's just like, yes. this woman can actually manipulate her way because I, what I love about shadow of a doubt is it's the murderous uncle who comes to town and the niece figures it out pretty early on. And she's the only yes. one who knows what he is. And so yeah, much and- of that movie is like, you know, the kids are learning of this adult betrayal um, and it's, it's incorporated into the set pieces of, yeah. you know, them actually being like, you know, the, the adults can manipulate this world. They have more power than me in this world. And that's really scary. And, you know, and I was just really surprised that it feels like they set that up to happen with this little girl and the aunt's relationship and they just never actually develop it. It The whole time no. is just like the aunt being like, hopefully they don't get that information out of her and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully she, she drinks this somehow. poison <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Or, I, or I drown her, you know, in, in her little like water therapy bed that it's they like, strap her into. It's kind of creepy looking actually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's they put her in a straight jacket and then put her in a tub, which is crazy. Memories are gonna yeah. pop out of there for sure. Yeah, they're like, this is gonna th- this is gonna activate your psychotronic receptors, and she's like, okay. And, um, <laughs> then they like leave the room, and you don't see what Anne Southern does in there, but like. It's it's presumed that she just like sets up the girl to die and then like puts sets leaves. the door leaves. to do not yeah yeah like, leaves puts the door knob on. Like, I do like do the call the next morning when she's like, oh hey can I can I take Susan out today? Expecting them to be like, uh, ma'am Susan died last night. She yeah. drowned yeah. in her sleep and she's like, no S- Susan can't come out. But there was a little accident, but she's fine and she's gonna tell <laughs> us who killed the guy by the way soon. Or <laughs> she's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, also yeah. she knows she, rem- she I think she remembers. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like oh cool. The constant so reminders of like no we're figuring it out. Don't worry. It is very funny to watch her just like constantly be undermined, whatever plan she has. And it does. I mean, in a way, it 
it kind of makes sense to watch it and and it kind of digs it, um it, it works for comedy again this way is that she is such a normal character that has found herself in this circumstance that she would be pretty bad probably at doing these things and attempting them but instead of turning it into this you know suspenseful ten, uh, very tension filled thing that it probably should be for the most part it's it can be more comedic than it probably in, intends um, like yes. even the part when she was poisoning the milk, I think, and, and this might've been just a thing from this time. I don't know, but I think she's using a container that just says like poison on it. And I found that yes. to be cartoonish <laughs> as well. Like that's like you said, straight out of a Looney that, Tunes thing. Like that that's is Wiley right Coyote. Yeah. That's more where Wiley Coyote would well, try to kill a little girl yeah. in the same way. <laughs> a little skull on it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's so, so yeah. it's so Looney Tunes and ridiculous. And then like, <laughs> But also then like the the basically the finale of her them being like, well, all right, I guess it's time to release her to her aunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they like drop her off. And Do then, we like, think that she's the killer? No, no. Let's no, release her. No, no, it's <laughs> fine. And then as we're pulling away, she, she wants like, to take her to a remote cabin, by the way. <laughs> yeah. She's like, can I can I adopt her and take her to a remote cabin before she tells you who was the killer, by yeah. the way? And they're like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, that's fine. They're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and um, then like, it's just a, literally a total coincidence of the the light outside, a light outside the cabin projects the same shadow on the side of the wall. Yeah. And the girl just screams, hey, and it's happens. like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, damn. <laughs> and she, they, they're like, huh, what's wrong? And Dell just like basically interrupts them and is like, I did it. I was on killed him. You see? <laughs> like, she, yeah, but it, she also just confesses for no reason. Like yes. they were like, what the little girl screamed, and she, you That's know, she true. pointed it's at like you. But but she, but she's have... also like been in a fucking like you know she's been deemed like kind of traumatized and you know yeah. not trustworthy like her you know like this isn't enough to work on her but then she's like yeah i did it i'm, I'm guilty you know yeah it's like so out of character for someone who just tried to kill this child like six times like <laughs> you can't have your cake and eat it too of having her be like I've, I I want to kill this child, but also I feel kind of bad about all this. Too. Yeah, I feel like they could have uh, like had more scenes where she's actually struggling maybe with the decisions that she's making. It does more seem like she's just having reactions the entire time and, and just trying to get it done. Um, there's not a, as much of an emotional struggle as there probably should be. No, I mean, and she's practically and, turned into a horror figure when she's drenched in like the hospital shadow, shadowy hallways and she's yeah. like breaking yes. her way in. She's like, no, I'm going to deliberately drown my my niece to death you know yeah. like <laughs> and then I, and then her being swallowed by the uh the lawyers or the cops shadow as she's like cowering or whatever very on the nose but you know the, it's it's in the title the actual shadow work is you know it's 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 fairly well done yeah it's, I do like it's, it. it's cl um, classic striking noir shit it is funny yeah. when you say like she just outright confesses and doesn't necessarily have to because it is. She's right, think, Pike. I did it. I did it. Yeah, and to think <laughs> that like if she weren't to do that, that, really all the evidence they have is this. It's like the shadow looked like something the girl saw. Like that's basically <laughs> what they have for a court. Yeah, and um, and you know obviously as a film the imagery works perfectly. I really do love that shot of like the 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 stairs and then the big shadow over looming them and all of that. I think that. That's cool. Um, but it is funny. To think uh, but but really it is funny what, that she also just turns the lights on while they're walking down the stairs. Like that's the only yes. reason it illuminates her shadow is she turns it on. Like it's just yeah. as like, 
you know, uh, as as ridiculous as like the lamp breaking in just the right moment to hit her and how yeah, big right. that shadow is formed at the top of the steps. And also that the shadow is there for a little bit before anyone notices it. And it's like the little girl screaming that causes it, yeah, which to if, me is the funniest thing that goes unaddressed is that like it's pretty devastating to see that this girl relive this moment. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like considered like a background like, well, good thing it re-triggered her and now her dad is, you know, uh, you know, going to be, you know, yeah, not framed anymore for this murder life. he didn't commit. But I was like, man, do we not like think that we just like re-traumatize this child? No, yeah. she's, and fixed. It, she's fixed. <laughs> yeah. You don't her, get it. Her she, remembering it is now just uh, she's able to move on somehow. Yeah. The, the, yeah. What I'm saying is the better version of this is the version where they do the Twin Peaks thing. And it's like, here's this little girl who just like sees this thing and she just starts like freaking out and they go, oh, pff, whoops. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now we have a whole other problem to solve here. Why, why did we want to get that memory out of her so bad? <laughs> yeah. The is now trying to bring her back to a normal life. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Also, it's funny to think that if she just didn't wear that damn feathered hat, she would have gotten away with it. She would have had a more generic <laughs> shadow, yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah she I just, think, really, it's the hat. That was the big calling card. <laughs> so. I, think, I think that's like subconsciously she chose the hat because she's like, I need to be, you know. Yes, she wants to get caught. Yes, she <laughs> wants to get caught, exactly. <laughs> she's guilt-ridden. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like have you ever asked a noir character to take their hat off before killing someone? Come on, man. Yeah, no. Yeah. They gotta the be whole, stylish the while they do cold blooded murder. Point. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But movie, yeah, that, and it like is it. Yeah, I like yeah, it. I, 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 like I enjoyed it, it too. We are we are being like a little, you know, uh, yeah, critical of it. But I but I think that's because I just it's it its premise is a such a different kind of movie than what it ends up being. But the movie <laughs> it ends up being was a lot of fun to watch. Like yeah, the fact yes, that it yeah. is like this weird, like family psychiatry, like justice system melodrama with Nancy Reagan trying to like re trigger the repressed traumatizing memory of a child in order to get her dad off death row. Like that's such a weird angle to approach this from <laughs> when like everyone else would have done like the cat and mouse thriller between the yeah. aunt and the, and, and the kid. Like that's such a more obvious perspective to take, which maybe you could say is a more boring perspective, but it's also like it's been done so well. And especially like it was done well in the window. It was done well in, in shadow of a doubt where it was like, I really did feel that even if they had just done both and they had actually done some more introduced to the kid, the fact that her aunt is trying to kill her earlier and actually see the manipulation that she's doing around her. Because so much of what I love about Shadow of a Doubt is just seeing that uncle be like, I'm an adult and I have power and you have no autonomy and but you are trapped in a dangerous situation that everyone else perceives as normal and domestic. And that is what's so kind of perverse about that and and tense about this premise. Um, And it just feels like kind of a little bit of a missed opportunity that they don't quite go um, for that as well. But yeah, it is it is still like the actual shadowy murder sequence itself is quite well done. Mm -hmm. All of the uh, visual and spatial like recreations of Nancy Reagan trying to pull it out of her are, are interesting. And all of the stuff with Anne Southern just being like the worst, most low rent Wiley Coyote murderer is ridiculous and just a blast to watch, even though it is surprisingly low energy. It is like, yeah, <laughs> what if I poured some poison into some chocolate milk and poof, she doesn't 
say anything anymore it's like that doesn't work then it's like what if i just like strap her in a what if i undo her straps in her weird waterbed it's like nope that that doesn't do it either and and the fact that she's at every turn it's like something as ridiculous as like you know her placing a phone call and being like can i can't can can a child actually accuse me of murder and I get in trouble or, or, or calling up the next day being like, Oh man, I I did such a great murder last night and expecting Nancy Reagan to be like, wow, she got murdered last night. She's like, no, not only does she not get murdered, she's actually remembered. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Everything. Her slow realizations of her incompetence is really funny. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. it's so funny. <laughs> the funniest thing about her remembering after that is that the cr- the insane like straight jacket water bath worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so as so as a result, if we're pivoting towards reductive rating round, this one uh, this one landed in kind of like the, the 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 light three territory for me. I, I I definitely had a had a good time with it. I always enjoy a good uh, child endangerment thriller film, and there's a lot of ridiculous, um, you know, fun little B noir melodrama elements to this. And also, I, I kind of agree with with I, I kind of wish I went in and had Hessa's experience with it, where I was a little bit more shocked about the movie it became. But I think it it does make that transition effectively, where it is like yeah. this is just an an adultery, you know, drama that you've seen in like a, a you know in, in the pre code era or something like that, and then it's like no, you know, the one woman kills the other woman and now the, the dad is on death row and the daughter is traumatized and, and we need, already, she's also uh, a witness that we need to murder hilariously they've <laughs> such a ridiculous two, film they've already included too that the daughter's real mother died and they say that in the beginning too so you just watch like everything be taken away from this girl uh yes. for like the first like 30 minutes yeah but uh yeah uh so, so definitely had a good time with it yeah, I'm uh, I'm right there there with you. I think I would still I would give it like a solid three. I I did. I, there was never a moment where I didn't think I was gonna like it, but it did. It was lighter than I thought um, it was gonna be, just given the the premise. Once she started to kind of slowly, s- slow pacingly try to kill Susan, um, I was a little bit just taken back by how they were going about it. Um, but yeah, but it's not, it's also, not very dramatic. It's kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then I started getting a kick out of that too. And watching her like complete incompetence and her trying to figure out how to do this when she's really bad at it was, was something I got a lot out of honestly. So, um, and, and I did think that everyone's performance was, was, was quite good and really, uh, Gigi, I think was Peru, uh, the, the girl, um, mm-hmm. was fantastic. I thought she was awesome. She had to go from like, uh, she did that kind of, you know, just happy, family-loving kind of almost comedy uh, that she's doing at the beginning and then has to do a lot of, you know, horrifying scenes when she's discovering the the death that's happening in front of her and stuff. I thought it was, you know, it, it asked a lot of her for a child actor, and I thought she did a great job. But I think everyone does a good job in this. So, um, yeah, I'd recommend it for sure. I think it's fun. Yes. So. Yeah, for you, Hesa. I, I would give it three and a half stars. I really like it. Nice. I. I love the Looney Tunes-ness of it, and Going in Blind was very fun. Um, and I have a very fond memory of first watching this on, like, an edible on TCM and just being <laughs> like, what the hell? That feels like the ideal way of watching it. Yeah, yeah. I think you had oh, the yeah, best experience anyone could possibly an had with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, like, what are these children talking about? Someone <laughs> yeah, gonna drink it? <laughs> it's, it's pretty long, too. Like, yeah. Are you kidding me? 
Um, but yeah, I really love it. I love Ann Southern in it. I love the throat goat, Nancy Reagan in it. Um, <laughs> doesn't demonstrate her throat skills at any point, um, <laughs> but it's okay. Shame. I think that it's definitely worth a watch. Definitely worth a watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that is going to um, wrap it up for Shadow on the Wall here and this week's episode. Um, that was uh, The Sound of Fury from 1950 and Shadow on the Wall from 1950. Thanks so much, Hessa, for uh, joining us and, and for bringing your uh, TCM watching yes, uh, to, to our listeners. This felt like a good old TCM episode of, of yes. the show, which we are going to be doing for the rest of the month, so everyone can look forward to that. But um, Hessa, this is usually where, if you've got anything um, to, to plug, we usually have you do that. So what's, what's going on in Seeking Derangements and Movie Mindset World? Um, t- uh, with seeking derangements, we are we have an episode on Patreon every week and an episode, um, a free episode every week. Um, subscribe to the Patreon and check out the you know the beautiful podcast. That's how I make my money, basically. Um, so if you want to support the Hessa mindset and the Hessa, um, and speaking of the Hessa mindset, the um, the um, Chapo Trap House Movie Mindset podcast just finished our um, October Ghoul V Scream Set series, and we just uh, you know concluded that. But we will be returning in March with more episodes. And make sure you listen to all the Ghoul V Scream Set episodes. I think we just did the last episode was Wolfin and Candyman. Which is a very That's right, but I, I saw you guys were doing some Tom Atkins stuff, and yes. uh, actually, on on the same week, we both dropped episodes on Roger Corman and Vincent Price, but we did different movies. We did oh. House of Usher and Pit and the Pendulum, and I think I think you and Will did Mask of Red Death, and what was the other one you guys did? We did Mask of the Red Death, and um, the other one wasn't a Roger Corman Vincent Price; it was oh. um, The Last Man on Earth. Oh, um, which is the right. same like short story as Omega Man, but um, it's yes. a very fun one. But I, I love if we were going to do that, another, but that, but that, that was still Vincent Price, right? Because I haven't seen yes, that one, yes, but I'm pretty yes. sure yeah, that's gotcha. Vincent Price. But um, if we were going to do another one, it would probably have been The Pit and the Pendulum because I that's I love that one so much. The Pit and the Pendulum is awesome. Yeah, it's um, yes. and 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 also the other connection there is Last Man on Earth because that's the obviously the I Am Legend story that's uh, written by Richard Matheson, who was the guy who actually was doing all those scripts for Corman too. We talked about oh. him on our episode because he's the mm-hmm. sci-fi author who did like Duel and Incredible Shrinking Man, and he 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 did the scripts for House of Usher and Pit and Pendulum as well. Oh my god, I didn't even know that. Oh, yeah, he's Richard great. Richard Matheson, kind of the boy. He also wrote The Raven, which is like the most ridiculous one any of them did. <laughs> oh yeah, the the one with Peter Lorre as the Raven. Yeah, where he's like half Raven, half like weird yes. wizard man. <laughs> and Vincent Price and Boris Karloff just like shoot lasers while sitting in chairs at each other. It's Have you seen awesome. the, um, the, the cask of Amontillado, um, Vincent Price and Peter Lorre one? I haven't actually. Oh my god, it's so good. I think it's in Tales of Terror. It's um but it's amazing. Oh, gotcha. It's yeah, like, no, like Peter Peter Laurie, just a guy I like looking at, you know. Yeah, and, no, him <laughs> and Vincent Price getting having a contest to so see you could get more hammered. Um <laughs> And then Peter Laurie, that one is a real Looney Tunes, like real life Looney Tunes one, because it's two people that like actual Looney Tunes characters were based on going completely ham mode, like 
there's a part where <laughs> Vincent Price does the like stuttering thing. It's awesome. I love that. It's so goofy and cartoony. Hell yeah. Well, definitely go back and get caught up on all of the uh, spooky Halloween uh, mindset episodes that Will and Hessa were doing. They were fun. Yes. And for our listeners, uh, we are going to be continuing on, though, like leaving the spooky mindset in the rear view for just a little bit, um, where we are going to be committed to doing the rest of Noir Vember, talking a bunch of noir films. Next week, we have a very spe- special last-minute sub-in episode, because this is going to be a different episode, and I haven't told Jamie about this yet, which is why he didn't know at the top of the show like he usually does <laughs> oh. um i i saw david fincher's the killer recently with michael fassbender Heck yeah. um and i had a really great time with it it's coming out on netflix very soon and there was a, an old noir movie it reminded me a lot of called murder by contract from 1958 um which is oh. also about a very ruthless and efficient contract killer but specifically it's so much about like his narration and his philosophy on like the transactional nature of, of what he does and um, you know, his sort of rationalizing of it and everything. And it's a very, very uh, great noir. And I hadn't seen someone recreate that and like as well as until this Fincher movie where Michael Fassbender is a hitman who like uses like Postmates and WeWork and you know it's it's very it's very mundane and he listens to the Smiths and <laughs> he 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 treats it like just like a labor job and has a philosophy about how it is just like this you know he he clocks in and does it the same way like you work like a warehouse gig um, and Murder by Contract is the only other film I've seen really capture that so I want to talk about that next week and there's actually another great hitman noir from 1961 called Blast of Silence. So oh, cool. that is going to be the pairing we're going to be talking about um, Ooh, next I've week. I've never seen either on. of those. Those sound cool. Ooh, you should watch them. The, the Alan Barron Blast of Silence one, too, is I think it's going to get reissued on Criterion this year because it's been the DVD has been the only thing in print for a long time. And I think it's finally getting a Blu-ray this year. So the murder by contract poster is so funny. <laughs> it's a guy it's, it, garroting a woman. And it, on the top, it says double rates for women because women, a woman is always double trouble. <laughs> well, that's one of the funniest things about the movie is that he's very carefully <laughs> plans his murders. And every one of the, like the main dramatic thrust of the movie is that they gave him all the correct information, but they didn't tell him it was a woman. So now it's become an unpredictable job, you know? And he's oh like, this God. is, you're breaking the fabric of my routine, you know, oh, motherfuckers. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about next week over on the Patreon. And then in two weeks' time, we are going to be back with another special guest where we are going to be doing an episode that we've kind of had planned for a little while. We're finally going to talk about one of my favorite noirs of all time, Kiss Me Deadly from 1955, directed by Robert Aldridge, uh, one of the um, uh, Mickey Spillane uh, sort of uh, Mike Hammer adaptations uh, with one of my just favorite endings in any noir film. And we're going to be pairing it with, um, I think, a Japanese noir one that I haven't seen called The Man Who Stole the Sun, uh, which I have not seen. But in terms of the imagery of sun and light and the elements of Kiss Me Deadly with the the sort of like nuclear briefcase ash shit, I think we're going to have some connective tissue there. And uh, yeah, so you can expect that to hear that uh, with a guest in two weeks time over on the main feed. And, you know. We will go noir mode for the rest of the month. But um, Kiss awesome. Me Deadly was another one that I asked if I could bring on, but you said someone already reserved it. 
I know. And and <laughs> yeah. you know what? They had they had reserved it. Like the, the person who reserved it actually reserved it like a year and a half in advance. I was like, they oh, were like, so I want crazy. the noir episode and I want Kiss Me Deadly. I was like, well, <laughs> okay, let's do it. So I can't wait long time out. in in the planning. But uh yeah, that's gonna wrap it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, everybody. Keep it sleazy.